Welcome to Wildlife Photography Unhinged. I'm your host, Alex Perdutis. And in today's episode, I'll be discussing with my friend, Martin Culpepper, about all sorts of random stuff. You know, this is just, this is for fun. Uh, talk about bokeh, primes versus zooms, watermarks, and, you know, a few other things. Uh, on that note, how's it going, Martin? It's going all right. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm very well That's right now. That's great. Feels weird being on the other side of interviewing. <laughs> yes. This is strange. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And uh, also, you're just able to say whatever you want in this one. Exactly. I know. This yeah. isn't like structured and yeah. normal like my other ones are. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just for the audience, uh, where are you based and where can people find you? So I'm based like physically, location-wise, you mean? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sweet. So I'm in the Northeast. So between like Northern Massachusetts and Southern New Hampshire. Um, and then where people can find me online is... Instagram is Martins with a Z dot photos. Um, so it, well, it's supposed to be like Martins apostrophe, you know, like Martins photos as in my photos, but then people think it's Martin Z photos. So I have to keep explaining that was probably a bad naming choice on my part. <laughs> <laughs> um, my website is pepperwildlife.com. I have a bunch of images on there, a portfolio and stuff. And then I have a podcast that we had Alex on, uh, which was Art in the Wild. That's on Spotify and YouTube. I haven't gotten Apple Podcasts or anything up on that one. Um, then the Instagram is just Art in the Wild Pod for that. I feel like I'm listing off too many places. I think that's it. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think that's it as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have a Facebook, but I don't use it. Last time I posted, it was like fucking 2018. So, you know. Yeah, Facebook doesn't count. No one uses that anymore. <laughs> exactly. Only, only, old, only old people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, precisely. Um, and just kind of, we'll go through a few questions ju just about your photography first. Um, mm -hmm. what got you into photography? So I've always been into animals, like ever since I was essentially like a toddler, ever since I could form memories, I've just been obsessed with like watching animal documentaries and flipping through the big animal encyclopedias. Um, so that was always the biggest part of my life. You know, whenever I was a kid, I'd always just look out the window for wildlife constantly and then I was on a fishing trip when I was 11 and we were coming back from the fishing trip. It was like out deep sea fishing for cod and, you know, haddock and stuff like that. And we ran into this big pod of Atlantic white-sided dolphins. I was with my mom at the time. And I remember there was like 300 dolphins. That might be an exaggeration. I was a kid at the time. So don't take, I would take that with a grain of salt, but there was just dolphins everywhere, like, like all over the place. And I was taking a video of them. And at one point in the video, this one surfaced really close to the boat. Well, I got home later that night and I was going through the image of the video frame by frame. One of the frames was the one that came up close to the boat, but it had a little baby right next to it. And I screenshotted that. And that was the first wildlife image I ever took. Tech, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it an image, you know, and in quotation marks, but you get what I'm saying. Yep. It was the first wildlife thing that I ever made. And I was like, this is sick because I'd always been looking at wildlife photos in national geographic magazines and stuff like that and then i had this one so my mom's a photographer as well and she'd been a photographer since she was 12 and she had this old camera that got like dropped off the back of a car and like it was beat up it was a nikon d200 this thing was like 10 years old at the time when this story took place but that was like 12 at this point i think and I was about to go out and look for animals and I'm looking at that camera. And after the dolphin happened, there was a couple weeks of like taking photos with my phone of plants and trying to take photos of birds and deer, but it didn't really work out that well. And I'm looking at this camera. I had a little 200 millimeter on it. I'm like, this is probably going to take better photos than my phone. Um, I didn't know how to use it, but I was like, screw it. We'll take it out. And then it 
kind of spiraled into insanity and now it's like eight years later and <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's, how, that's how it happens right <laughs> precisely yeah so for your first photo that you took you did press the shutter correct yes i activated the mechanism yes. on the video which on the video is a sequence of photos which would technically possibly count well i activated the um, mechanism on the screenshot too of the video <laughs> <laughs> I have to think um, about that one now. Oh shit! I have to think about that yeah. one. Yeah. No. Well, if, wait. What if? What if you have like a live cam footage of like a bear cam or something, and then you take a screenshot? Is that your photo that you took? Okay. We we can save yeah, this till later. Yeah. yeah we'll, 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 we'll save that. We'll save that we'll till put later. A, put a that's pen a, in it. That's yeah. a. That's a. Yeah. We'll have to think about that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> this is gonna be great. Um. No. But that's my story. Getting into it. Um. But yeah, it's just wildlife has always been my main passion ever since I. You know, it used to only be like mammals and birds and i mean like mammals and owls and stuff but it eventually evolved into like shorebirds and songbirds and you know sparrows at the end of the line and stuff like that so okay cool um yeah i think if if people have listened to your podcast they would know probably a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of elements of the story there yeah 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 <laughs> um how would you we'll, we'll talk about your podcast in a second here but first uh, I'll ask you, how would you describe your own personal style? Okay, so most people have this like really complicated, deep uh, justification for like why they take images. They're like, oh, for conservational re reasons or to like build connections with the animals. Or often I find like it's like to tell a story. For me, when it comes to photos I like, it's literally just if it looks graphically cool. Like I don't have this like deep kind of meaning. And I, I know that's kind of like it's kind of lame to say, you know, <laughs> but like, I don't have, you know, for me, if it just looks nice, I kind of like the image. Um, when it comes to my style, I, I say I'd have some images that are kind of like images that I utilize that I, well, there's styles that I utilize a lot that some people may call my style, but mm -hmm. I feel like my portfolio is like really diverse. You know, I do a lot of black and white. I do a ton of portrait stuff. I do a lot of plumage shots. I do a lot of environmental when I can, um, it's more of just like, if I like the image, I think it looks cool. Or if I like a style of image on social, like if I see an image on social media and I think it looks nice, I'm like, okay, I want to replicate that. I will, even if it goes outside of like stuff I usually do. Um, but like some of the images I'd say are more indicative, like my style specifically, I'd say like silhouettes through foreground against like a colorful sky during like sunset or blue hour or something like that. Um, I do a lot of those. I've done a lot of shorebird stuff with artificial bokeh from like streetlights, car headlights and stuff this summer, specifically last summer a little bit, but this summer a lot too. Um, and I'd say those are some of the shots that are specific to me. Um, but aside from that, you know, I kind of shoot everything a little bit. I'll shoot portraits. I'll shoot environmentals when I can, stuff like that. Okay. So you, you like to shoot kind of a mix of stuff. Yeah. You know, a yeah. little bit of art, a little bit of the kind of environmental stuff, kind mm -hmm. of more standard photos as well. Yeah. yeah that, that's good. You're kind of like, um, Jack is a little bit like that too, right? Just for it's a little Precisely, bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I pretend like I'm like that, but I I don't know <laughs> if I actually am. I don't know. I'd say you are. I mean, <laughs> a lot of environmentals, a lot of portraits and stuff like that. I don't know. I, I I'd say your portfolio portfolio portfolio. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'd say your portfolio is diverse, though. You know? Yeah, just not a just not in terms of groups of birds. True, it's all, true. It's all, it's all shorebirds. <laughs> it's all shorebirds. But hey, I mean, shorebirds are great. You know. Yeah, shorebirds are fantastic. I actually, I shot my first non-shorebird. I was talking to you about this the other day. I 
all of the summer I realized it, I just shot shorebirds. Like I didn't shoot anything else this entire. Well, I shot shorebirds and turns. Um, <laughs> um. So yeah, I get a lot of piping plovers though. Um, and then I get a lot of least turns. And then me, Soren, and Maceo went down to New York, and we got common turn, oyster catcher, black skimmer. And some other stuff, but those were the main ones. But yeah, aside from that, I literally have not intentionally gone out to shoot anything that wasn't a shorebird. So recently, me and one of my other friends, we went out and got a screech owl, which was cool. Yeah. And then shooting it with the new gear is really nice with the not D500 and the Sigma 150 to 600, you know, um, that was yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but also when I was out at the cemetery, so my friend, it was Felix. He was on the screech cavity. The screech wasn't out. The sun was starting the set. He was watching the cavity. I was walking around the cemetery to see if it was out hunting already. It wasn't, but I saw this hawk just kind of fly right in front of me, a juvenile red tailed, and he caught like an adult rabbit right in front of me and then just sat on a headstone and ate it. And I got some really cool like foreground opportunities and stuff. That's I don't awesome, know if man. any of them. It was really cool. I don't know if anything turned out really well, but he was literally just standing there. Like I was able to walk around the headstone and try all different angles and stuff. And then it flew off. And then right as it flew off, the screech came out and I was able to land some kind of decent ish stuff of the screech too, which was fun. Yeah. Nice. Screech owls are always, are always fun. They're one of the more common ones that I see around here, mm -hmm. but yeah. I don't know that I find them very charming. They're very charming yeah. owls. They're cute. I mean, historically they've always been kind of my least favorite in the area which is, I know is a weird thing to say. Most people say bard, I find. I really like bards. Screeches, most of my experience, well, I mean, I used to have worse gear though. So most of my yeah. experiences were screeches in the day, sleeping for like 30 minutes and then leaving. So being able to do long exposures, I feel like opens up a whole different realm of photography with them. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Because, uh, well, they're they're quite a bit more nocturnal than some of the other species. So yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. You, you end up shooting in the lower light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, screech owls bar versus barred owls. Which one's worse? That's a that's a <laughs> that's a question. I don't know, it? man. I mean, screeches are gorgeous. I mean, especially the red morph and the gray morph. I like them both. Their eyes are beautiful. I just feel like behaviorally, the bards are a lot more fun to hang yeah. out with, and they're a lot more impressive too. Just like power wise, they're kind of like they're basically a mini gray gray. You know, yeah, they are. Yeah, I, I mean, they are. And people fight me on this all the time. They say they're not, but they like literally just objectively are. You know, they're just like a smaller, worse, great gray. <laughs> and, you know, it's just their behavior is really nice and they're really common out where I am. I just found one the other night on accident. Like mm -hmm. I wasn't even trying to and it was just there on the side of the road. So and, you know, they're less nocturnal. They're all over the place. They're loud. I have a pretty OK. I have a, I have a pretty decent bard call, but the bards never respond to me. Can you call in a bard with your voice? Me personally? No. No, you haven't. No. I know people who only do. with the Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there you go. On full repeat, right in front of a nest, just like one hundred percent volume. <laughs> yeah, no, was, was first first time I met Jack. <laughs> no, but yeah, I know people who can call them in with their voice. I haven't been able to, even though I've been practicing for years, and it makes me sad. But yeah, I mean, they're just loud. Their camouflage isn't that good. Don't tell them I said that. But you know, it's it's not the best. They're all over the place. They're very common. So I I don't know. I just like them a lot. Um, They're easier to work with than screeches, but screeches are cute though. Yeah. Yeah. No, screeches are are really cute. But yeah, you know that though? Like every, like almost every screech shot is like the same just in the cavity, right? It's, it's, they're all, they're all the same. Maybe well, you'll get one where it's out and just on a perch. I've seen one that was roosting on a perch. 
It was in a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. I shit you not. I, I've, I don't think I've told anyone this story really that much. Maybe I have. I was like 14 or 15. I'm with my mom. We're in the drive-thru, and I'm always looking for owls, right? Yep. I'm in the drive-thru. I feel like this is kind of a tangent, completely. Oh, it's fine. Topic, but... It's called unhinged. We're fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, But we're like four cars back from the window, and I see this pine tree that's right across from the window. You know, there's like the the drive, there's the window, and then there's the, the pavement on the other side of the drive. There's a pine tree, and I see something kind of red-ish, but it looks like it could have been the bark. I put it in the back of my mind. I'm scrolling through Instagram or whatever. We get up to the window. We're about to drive off, and I remember, oh, I have to check the thing. I look up, and there's a screech like three feet from my window just looking at me, just <laughs> sitting in the drive. So I, I go, oh, there's an owl, and I just roll down the window and take some photos of it. Then we go into the parking lot, and I'm photographing it from the thing, and the, the employees didn't even know it was there. It was right across their window. That's funny. And it hilarious. stayed for like two months. It stayed for like two months That's right so next funny. to me. It was, it was stupid. I mean, and I wonder what happened to it, because there were uh, rodenticide boxes outside the um dunkin donuts Ooh, yeah which isn't great you know um but it was there for a while i don't know what ended up happening to it but yeah that was that's my most ridiculous story with an owl anyways side topic but yeah i have seen one roosting outside of a cavity one time yeah um, I, i've seen them a few times um actually recently there was a like three or four of them a full family of them that were uh roosting out I was on a walk that was night under my camera. I just got looked. I thought like, that was sawets, weren't they? Yeah, I um, I made so. <laughs> oh, so they, they were, weren't. Okay. They, yeah, they weren't. I double checked. I checked. I went back again because I'm like, okay, am I, I'm looking at my data. I'm like, sawets. That's it's very uh, ex, it's very exciting. That'd be very very special. I go back. And, oh no, never mind. They're just screech they're just screech owls. Screech I mean, which, just screech owls. Just screech owls. But you know what? Like the ba- <laughs> they were babies, so they were really small, really round. They were very like sawet shaped. Fluffy. Yeah. 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 So I'm looking at them like, eh. you know what? It, it's it's funny. Like you see a baby owl and then you're like, yeah, right. Because you yeah. went into it thinking it was something even more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I got you. Who was it that was like saying? Because I remember when you sent that in the chat, there was someone else who was like, are you sure they aren't screeches? And you're like, no, they're definitely sawets. I don't remember. Yeah, it was Sarah. I think. It was Sarah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. And then and then I'm like, I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, fuck, I have to go back. <laughs> and then when I went back, one crashed into the tree and fell to the ground and like <laughs> and then left let out that like kind of distinctive screech sound yeah screech all, screech all sound and i'm like oh fuck i was wishful thinking man well hey i mean a family of screeches is still insanely awesome you know? oh yeah and it's it was like right in the neighborhood right like do you get <laughs> shots no you didn't get any shots no you see when i see an owl i don't think of photos anymore but but baby <laughs> screeches <laughs> bro they were just there in your neighborhood. They just yeah, didn't yeah. photograph them at all. Yeah. I mean, some of the listeners are going to hate me for this, but f- fuck owls. Oh, man. <laughs> fuck, fuck They're not meant for photography, not meant to be photoed by me. <laughs> <laughs> just meant to like be adorable, I guess. Yeah. I just admit, I look at them. I enjoy, I enjoy birding for owls. That's fair. That's fair. But yeah. in terms of photographing them, not so much. I, I just have bad, a lot of bad experiences with photographing owls. With like yeah, people and stuff like that. Yeah, people and um, I don't know. There's just like a certain stigma around it too. Yeah, no, I feel what you're saying. I've stopped. Like I've really, really slowed down on photographing snowy owls in my area for the last two years. Um, well, this year I didn't. This past season I didn't have a choice. There were like no snowy owls. I I can usually see. Yeah, like I can usually see like two to four a day repetitively throughout the winter. I saw three the entire winter this year. 
So yeah, I, I, on three separate occasions. I saw I think I saw the same one three times. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, well, honestly, no, here's the issue. I, I know for a fact I saw two because I saw one on Thanksgiving in the evening and I saw another one the day after in the morning, two different locations. One of them was significantly darker, went into like January, saw one a quarter mile out in a the marsh. There's a white speck and then didn't see any after that. So that was terrible. But yeah. even the winter before that, we had good snowy owl traffic it's just i didn't really shoot them because there's so many people and i just feel stressed when i'm shooting owls that other people are photographing like a substantial amount of other people even if i know it gets iffy like if the owl's comfortable with you people being there and people argue if you know that really matters or whatever but you know even if the owl is seemingly comfortable and is like hunting in front of people it still feels like uh, icky you get what i'm saying no i I get that 100 so yeah, well, I mean, in in my in my area, right? There's a few spots where, like, you could get really ch- quote unquote chill owls. I don't know if they're actually chill; if they're just so stressed, frozen. There, um, yeah. But like, yeah, there's a few spots that are super easy. Uh, mm-hmm. I just don't I don't go to them because it just feels really dirty. <laughs> no, really dirty yeah, I get exactly what you're saying. Um, oh, but I don't know, man. If I found a screech nest in the in my neighborhood that was by itself, I definitely have some screech shots in my portfolio. Yeah, you know, it's funny. There, there's a great horned owl that lives at my house too mm-hmm. and really then, like on your property yeah oh nice and I, I don't photograph it don't photograph i mean gray horns can be tricky sometimes they can be high up there they're and high they're... up and then it's like during the day i have to actually like, look for it <laughs> it's not and then when i find it it like freaks out i'm just like fuck that i'm not doing that yeah no, no they can be it. a pain in the ass yeah exactly yep. i love them but yeah um what were we talking about we just went oh completely... we were talking about um your style Oh boy, that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it, was a, it was a long tangent. Oh okay. boy, okay. So, so I guess we should. I'll move on to the next one, and we'll probably go off topic on that as well. Sweet, um, awesome. Let's talk about your podcast, Art in the Wild, mm-hmm. and what your inspiration for starting that was. So basically, I like wildlife photography podcasts. I like podcasts in general. I work full time. I do like electrical um, manufacturing, and it's basically I just build stuff for ion implanters currently that's not what i it's not what i want to do with my life or anything um but it's just something i'm doing right now uh just as a job but i love listening to podcasts in general and i love listening to wildlife podcasts wildlife photography podcasts and stuff but also like non-wildlife photography oriented wildlife podcasts so like biology related podcasts or ecology or whatever so i wanted a wildlife photography podcast that talked about photography but also talked about just animals in general and a bunch of different stuff, just combining all those different worlds. So I wanted to do that. Um, And I also realized like, I want to make money off wildlife photography and to do that, people need to know you as a person. It's kind of hard to do that. Like, well, not, it's not that it's hard to do that without a podcast. It's just significantly easier to do it with a podcast. Like if, if potential clients have a place where they can go to listen to you talk for an hour, hour and a half, and just listen to you discuss with other people. It's a really good way for them to feel connected with you, if that makes sense. So that's kind of like one of the main reasons I started it. Um, I used to have something with a kid called Alex Isengart, um, who's a good birder and stuff, uh, called the Young Wildlife Photographers Photo Chat. Young Wildlife Photographers Photo Chat. And that was not good at all. It was horrific, but (laughs) (laughs) it was really not good, but it was fun. Like it was a blast. You know, it was a bunch of young wildlife photographers. Um, this one's better for sure. Um, it's just like, there's some certain parts of podcasting that are just difficult, you know, like lining up interviews and stuff like that, but I've got some people time lining up interviews. I got some people that 
two well one person i think is definitely going to happen who's someone who works with penguins oh, cool. um and then not photography but just like um yeah more like conservation and stuff and then i heard about someone in new hampshire who's a black bear rehabber who like re-releases black bears to the wild oh, interesting. So I, might, I might reach out to them we'll see what happens that'd be pretty cool um but yeah it's fun i like it it's laid back it's cool um I do wish sometimes it could be a little less structured. Like I like the idea of this, but I'd be scared to run an unhinged podcast at the same time. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You know what? I, it's 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 kind of funny. Like I um, I add structure. I build the structure around the podcast, right? And I yeah. work through it, but I don't really care if I actually follow <laughs> follow yeah. through with all the questions and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. but I I have to admit, like when I started this, this was so nerve wracking. I was so nervous about this because yeah. I had I was a parent of people going to hate me before for, for saying stuff turns yeah. out people don't hate me well a few people hate me but most people <laughs> don't few. hate me yeah most people, most people yeah. don't hate me um so it, it but like that initial kind of unstructured format to it is very hard especially if you're not used to just talking willy-nilly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but no, you know what I... it's it's fun it's fun to do though it is fun yeah yeah, yeah it was there's definitely like pros and cons to it. You know, I like being able to sit down and have like a specific conversation on one kind of topic. Um, but at the same time, it'd be nice to just have conversations with people. I kind of did that with my last episode with Soren and Maceo. Yeah, I enjoyed um, that a lot. That was fun. We were just talking about a trip that we had. Um, we were going to, I talked about this in the episode, we were going to record it around a campfire in Maine. Yeah. We were, we were just too tired. It didn't work out. We were hiking and stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, with the podcast, it's just like I wanted to explore those worlds. And I also want to explore some like difficult to cover conversations like ethics. Um, I feel like there's I feel like even though I, I still even though it's like structure, I feel like there's some topics I'm going to cover that's going to make people hate me, you know, but it's well, like you can always talk about them here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, one of them was ethics and veganism and like the intersection between animal rights movements and the ethical wildlife photography movement and how they're kind of like disconnected and people yeah, don't very really disconnected. talk about them at all. And That'd I be, feel like that would be a good one to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I feel like it needs to be discussed, but I know for a fact people are, I'm going to get sent like death threats or something from it. Cause people are just going to go crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People will go crazy. And, Whoever your guest is on there, they're gonna get they're gonna get fucked too. <laughs> maybe maybe invite me on again for that. We can talk. That'd be fun. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, yeah. We could do an in-depth conversation on that one. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like even just ethics in general is important to cover. And then, you know, talking teaching more people more about like animal ecology and behavior and stuff. Cause I feel like a lot of wildlife photographers aren't particularly well versed in those subjects, you know. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. Yeah, yeah, I feel like it's different. I feel like birders in general are more well-versed on just their subjects' behavior and, like, natural history and stuff. If, you know, I've had wildlife photographers. I'm in the field with them, and I love them. They're great people, but they just say this stuff that's just objectively wrong. It's just not correct at all. Something about an owl that's just, like, it'll be, like, in the middle of winter with a fully grown adult barred owl, and they're like, oh, I think this one's the baby. And I'm like, eh, probably, hmm. probably not. Um, <laughs> you yeah, know, definitely but, not, yeah. yeah (laughs) but yeah they just say stuff like that and you just have to stay quiet because it's like i i'm not gonna you know whatever but uh another tangent what we're talking about the podcast podcast educating people we're we're on we're on the 
we're on the right on the trajectory train. yeah we're on the right <laughs> nice. train we're talking about the podcast still yeah um but that, that's my uh inspiration for starting it pretty much okay cool yeah thank you for sharing that i think that was pretty interesting uh, i would love to talk about some of those controversial things maybe we'll get to some of them today if oh not, boy we'll, i'm down uh, i didn't prepare but i'm down to just throw out yep. random i didn't i didn't prepare thoughts. either i didn't prepare either so it's gonna be a lot of uneducated <laughs> just spewing of stuff <laughs> great that's the best yeah that's the best well i didn't prepare for uh the um <laughs> the episode with the soren either i was like yeah fuck it let's go <laughs> that was a good episode though i listened to all of that one yeah that one had good audience retention on it yeah, yeah it was great it was really really um i've listened to the first one i listened to the entirety of soren's and the entirety of the first one um i actually sent soren the episode when i got to that camera trapping part i'm like bro you have to listen to this <laughs> i was listening who was just getting camera trapped? He was just getting shredded. So I just sent it to Sword. I'm like, bro, you have to turn this on. Um, but yeah, that was great. I listened to your first one. That was good. I haven't listened to Kareem's yet, and I haven't listened to your most recent. So I still have to get to okay. Those. Yeah, those um, one, those ones should be good. They're not as unhinged, um, but yeah. more organized. Oh no, and I listened to Jack's episode too. I listened to Jack's episode. What as do well. you think of Jack's episode? That was wild. That was crazy. <laughs> so a lot yeah. of whiplash, eh? That was a lot. Of, yeah. Wow. That was intense. It was a good episode, though. It was nice. Yeah. It's, it's very different, right? Of kind of what you it normally is. see. Precisely. Yeah. So, okay. We talked about your podcast. Uh, we talked about your style and among other things. Um, let's kind of talk about Boca and Boca Balls because you've been working on that a lot. Yeah. People who know my work, which is, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this, <laughs> know that I like pokeballs a lot i like in fact some of my shots are like 90 percent pokeballs i'd say another good i'd say another good um Mm -hmm. so what has made you gravitate towards using pokeballs in your photography so the primary area where i'm using bokeh and pokeballs is like artificial bokeh with shorebirds it's kind of very specifically located in that area it's not just that you know i'll do some backlit stuff but once again, it just kind of goes back to that really rudimentary view I have on photography where if it just looks cool, I like it. And I think Boca looks really sick. Boca, it just, yeah, it does. It just looks cool. You know, it's this big glowing ball. It's so, I, and also I kind of like combining wildlife photography with things that are not normally associated with like wildlife, the things that don't appear natural, you mm-hmm. know? And I feel like a big glowing artificially colored orb kind of fits that description. Yeah, oh, does that totally make does. sense? Yeah, it totally yeah. does. So like I did a similar thing. I had a mantis fly that I thought was a praying mantis, but I learned it's a mantis fly, which is like a similar little bug that feels the same. It has the same behavior as a mantis, but it's like a completely different, you know, co-evolved species. Um, But I had one of those in my house. So I let it out freely outside. But first it was like a tax of like a, an hour and a half long photo shoot with it. And I tried all these different like crazy colors and stuff that's just not natural at all. And I really like that kind of intersection. And that's one of the reasons why I like artificial bokeh. It's just so weird looking and it always yeah. takes people aback. I mean, the issue is I always have to explain to people because I'll do craft fairs and then I have like work hanging in a gallery up in Maine. And every time someone looks at it, they either say, is that the moon? Or they're like, oh, that's edited in. Right. And each time I have to explain how, no, you know, how the background compression works with distance and light sources and you know, whatever. But yeah, it just, I think it looked really nice. Noted. So you, you basically, your philosophy on Boca's, it looks cool and that's what you use it. Literally it. And I, I know that's embarrassing because I, I wish I had some big grand philosophical stance on it. 
but it just looks nice you know it just yep. looks sweet yep and it does it does <laughs> i i was when you were saying that i'm trying to think is like, is there a greater reason why i use bokeballs and mm-hmm. no there is not <laughs> <laughs> it's just it looks cool that's it you know very it's cool fuck. yeah yeah no, it's I guess you could say it, you know creates a little extra dimension, extra interest in the shot. Yeah, and uh, it's compositionally, it's an extra compositional layer in mm-hmm. there. <laughs> For that's sure, like, that's like one way of putting it. Looks yeah. cool is another way. But basically, it just it looks cool. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean, that's been the main reason. I just like exploring with it. Um, and there's different things you can do. And my shorebird spot is really good for it because basically how it's set up is it's there's an inlet from the ocean. And the shore wraps around and points towards a town that's about a quarter mile across like the inlet. And then I have backlighting coming too. So I can get backlit in the afternoon, which since I'm on the East Coast, I can't get that normally because Mm -hmm. the sunset, you know, sunsets in the West. So it sets behind the dunes and the dunes lose the last like 45 minutes of sunset. So in most places, you don't get any good light for the most part. But here, you can get backlit and get frontlit. And then once that sun goes down, I instantly flip to artificial bokeh. Another big reason, though, why is because I just upgraded from the Nikon D500 and the Sigma 150, 600, uh, 150 to 600 to the Z9 and the 500PF. And for some reason, I cannot edit the backlit files on my new gear, like my new setup. I just, I can't, I don't know it just doesn't work like yeah. i don't know what the issue is i just i get so frustrated with it that i i've barely shot backlit okay so can you explain to me what the exact um complication you're having is is it like a loss of contrast or is it a... yeah i on the subject specifically i feel like i just it feels washed out almost okay. in a way that and i feel like it looks the same in the raw, but I feel like I can't correct it the same way I used to with my D five hundred. I don't know if that's just a different flare with the lens. Yeah, or so like that. I will explain this to the audience because it's actually <laughs> kind of nerdy. Okay, so a five hundred PF is yeah. a phase uh, Fresnel lens. That mm-hmm. means that it has a bunch of ridges in it, and yeah. those ridges, when they are in backlight, will catch the the light and create a loss of contrast on the images. Mm-hmm. So uh, another thing, sometimes you'll notice in bokeh balls, you'll get slight ringing inside the bokeh balls too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's those are actually the ridges of the lens itself. Okay. So right. it's it's a lens design thing, and the reason why it's it's ridges so that it can bend the light in a way to make the lens smaller and mm-hmm. lighter. So it, it's just like natural trade off there. Yeah. If you say, I mean, do you still have the one fifty six hundred? Yeah, I still have it. Yeah. If you, chances are, if you use that one fifty six hundred mm-hmm. on your new camera, which I would f- I'm so sorry if you have to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you would probably not have to deal with as much flare. Okay. The other thing it could be is on mirrorless cameras, especially the ones with Sony sensors, mm-hmm. like the Nikon's and the Sony's, they can get lost contrast flaring off of the actual sensor. Yeah. So, um, I mean, if if you're seeing like little like pixel shaped flaring on it mm-hmm. on your shots, then it's probably from the sensor if it's just washed out it's probably from the lens itself um so workaround it would be to switch your lens probably for the lens (laughs) just buy a new lens yeah uh the sensor one there's no there's no workaround because it's just like the nature of the sensor camera yeah yeah Um, okay yeah i mean like there's like there's some downsides to this to certain pieces of gear that people never really talk about Mm -hmm. because i mean most people shoot kind of the same way so they don't notice it as much but yeah, the flaring is definitely one of the issues with like the Nikon PF lenses and also the Canon DO lenses. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of just the natural trade-off. And 
that's also why some people say they're like in theory slightly less sharp uh, because in, in practice even though they're tack sharp in normal situations when like tested with strained lighting angles you can sometimes run into a little lack of clarity from from that yeah that makes sense yeah that was that was a great rundown um yeah it's just that's an issue i've had it, it feels weird having a significantly inferior setup but then being able to edit files from that way better than files with the new setup it's like because if you gave me a backlit set a uh, backlit file on my last camera i could edit it like really well um at least yep. you know in my opinion um and then on the Z9, I I just I've barely shot backlit because it's not even worth it. You know, I have I have backlit shots from um, New York when I was down there photographing shorebirds. And I can't even like post them yet because I've just been messing with it and it hasn't worked. Maybe it'll just click and I'll figure out what I'm doing wrong. Maybe yeah, there is a way you, around it. What do you you how how are you editing them? Usually, what I'll do is I'll mess around with the global adjustments just to make everything else look right. I'll select, and this is why I did my D500. I'd select the subject, and then I would maybe up the contrast and the blacks a little bit, the black point, and then mm -hmm. take down the saturation a bit, and then mess with the color to make it seem more balanced. Because, you know, when you mess with the contrast, it may enhance the color that's on the subject and make it this, like, really oversaturated look, if that yep. makes sense. Yep. And I would adjust that. But on my on my new setup, like, I just feel like that just doesn't work. Like, it just comes out looking really wonky. And no matter how I try to adjust it, it's, like, yeah. just not working. Have you – do you use the dehaze slider at all? I think I've tried dehaze. Yeah, I think I have Similar kind that. of issue. It doesn't work. I think so, yeah. I, yeah. I, and it just, like, I feel like when, when I try to fix it, if I try to desaturate it, like, I, the one that I'm thinking of mainly is an oyster catcher image. Mm -hmm. The oyster catcher just looking at me. But the blacks on the head and the shadows on the head, like, were just super saturated. And I tried to desaturate them, but then it looked weird. And it's just, it feels like the the blue hour stuff with the new setup and the new like in body image stabilization comes out way better. And I can get the bokeh, and I got my backlit stuff back here uh, last year, so I just haven't even tried this year that much. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always it's always challenging when you have like a technical limitation like that. Mm -hmm. um that you kind of wish you didn't have because you paid a lot more for the equipment um, yeah but yeah that is kind of the, the natural trade-off of the pf elements itself so you mm -hmm. if you got say a 400 4.5 yeah right um that lens probably wouldn't have that issue. i'm not that lens has a issue with like swirling on the bokeh okay. but it doesn't have um an issue with flaring like that so that basically to avoid all these issues i'm gonna have to buy like a thirty thousand dollar lens is what you're saying Oh, you don't need necessarily need to buy a thirty thousand dollar lens, <laughs> right? Like you could buy a um. Well, I mean, that's one way you could buy the four hundred two point eight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, with the built-in teleconverter. Built easy. Um, you could get the the one eighty to six hundred. Will probably not have that I'm much of an issue. I'm looking at getting that. I well, I'm on the fence about that though. Okay, why don't oh, we no. talk about? I'm gonna or skip past some things right now. Let's let's talk about okay. that. Sweet. Okay, so. What do, why are you on the fence with it? So I've heard mixed reviews about it. I am getting another lens soon, like really soon. I'm looking at either getting the 70 to 180 that just came out, the Z70 to 180, or the already existing Z70 to 200. Um, yes. I actually didn't even know they had a 70 to 200 until I was I was just giving, I've been giving a ton of library talks recently. I've given like seven this summer or something okay. like that. Quite a bit, yeah. Yeah, and I was at one of my last ones, this one lady there who's a photographer, she's really nice. 
she raised her hand and well, we, we got talking after the talk and she had mentioned she had the Z70 to 200. And I was like, wait, would that exist? I like, I didn't even know that was an option. So I was just thinking about getting the Z70 to 180 until I realized the 70 to 200 existed. And I know there's a quality difference. So now I'm kind of thinking about those two options and juggling them in my head. So I'm looking at getting that when it comes to the 180 to 600, I've heard mixed reviews about the sharpness of it. And I feel like going from the PF and downgrading sharpness might feel weird to me. Um, but also, yeah, also if I have I also 6.3 too, like I'm used to the 5.6 and I know it's not a huge advantage, you know, but there's yeah, it's one third stuff. Yeah, there's there's a couple things, Um, but mainly I'm worried about the sharpness because I've heard some people say it's in between the Sony two, uh, 200 600 and the Sigma 150 to 600. I've heard some people say it's tack sharp, top of the line glass, and I've heard other people say it's not that great. So, you know, yeah, I think I think when you're dealing with this, this is for like everyone here. When you're yeah. dealing with reviews on gear, you need to look at how they're testing the gear and how they're using it. Yeah. So, if they're test charting it, a lens like that is they're not, it's never going to get top of the top performance on a test chart. Mm-hmm. It's just not really designed for that. Um, you're always going to notice that some lenses can be better than that. Yeah. Um, the in the field results are probably going to be what you care about more. Uh, mm-hmm. When you do go back and look at the test charts, what you want to compare it to is probably the 200 to 500 mm-hmm. and the Sigma 150 600. I wouldn't compare it to the Sony just because it's on a different um, body, different sensor. Yeah. So, it, and the Sony glass tends to be really sharp, but also have kind of lesser rendering. So it's not mm-hmm. really like a the best comparison there. Yeah. Um, I think that. It's gonna be if it's if it's around the same sharpness as the two hundred five hundred, but maybe a little bit more consistent. Um, I think it's be a pretty good piece of glass. You probably won't notice mm. too much of a difference. You'll definitely know if you if you were using teleconverters a lot, then yeah, you sure you'll 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 notice it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but if you're using a bear, I don't think you have too much to worry about there. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because the sharpness you're gonna see it more in the corners than in the center. So yeah. with, with wildlife photography, the corner sharpness on the telephoto is not that important, mm-hmm. whereas the center sharpness is much more important. So that if you're looking at the test chart, look at the center sharpness, because I what tends to happen when they're doing the test charts is they'll basically average out the sharpness for the corners and the center. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's like the center's the only one that matters. The corners are kind of whatever, right? And zooms yeah. tend to be a little bit worse in the corners, minus like a few really, really high-end ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that what you might want to do is just if if when it starts becoming available more kind of widespread just rent yeah. it just rent just it try it out yeah 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 i'm thinking about it i mean i I thought when it first and got announced i was like i'm definitely buying this because the internal zoom and stuff and i don't know if i'm going to sell my 500 pf the issue is i've got sand in every crevice of that thing for my shorebird photography i don't even know how much i'd be able to sell it for you know um yep. So I there feel is you on that. that. <laughs> I understand. That yeah. I mean, I turn the focusing ring, it's just like so you know, it's kind of an issue. But I also like it in general. I just like the lens. Um I am getting the 7200 or the 70 to 180. So the 180 to 600, I'd like it a lot. I'm gonna think about it. Um, but also I really want an underwater setup too. I was gonna buy it this summer, but then I I didn't know if I wanted to get a new mirrorless camera and then get a mirrorless housing or stick with my D500 and get a D500 housing for less, but then have to worry about the noise from the shutter and the lower quality and stuff like that. So 
I've just been kind of debating that. So I've got a bunch of gear purchases I want to make. And I feel like, I feel like the 187, this 18700, the 180 to 600 is almost like on the back burner for now. But if I rent it and it's incredible, I might just get it. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I would definitely prioritize the 7180 slash 7200 over mm-hmm, that. For sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, and thing is too, if you got a 7200, for example, and you bought a teleconverter with it, like a 1.4X, yeah. you could cover most of your short range um, mm. there and also your, your kind of middle. So you can get up to like almost 300 millimeters or 400 with the 2X. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 405.6, right? You could cover. I mean, it's not going to be as sharp with the 2X, but with the 1.4X, it's a very, very good lens. Yeah. So you could, you know, 280 F4, right? You can cover a lot of that short range with that and then just have your 500. And then mm-hmm. together, they're probably about the same size and weight as the uh as the 180 to 600 yeah so i mean obviously the 7200 is a more expensive lens though but um mm-hmm. i mean it's a top it's a top line lens it's really good really good glass and i think you would utilize a lot with your style of photography yeah i just i feel like one issue i have is on the prime 500 this is my first time shooting a prime and i feel all of my shots feel the same understandably so because it's all with the same focal length it's just very weird feeling because on the Sigma, I was able to zoom out and do a bunch of different stuff, but now I kind of, I feel hungry to get like more environmental stuff and more shots where it's like more environmental, but the depth of field is really smooth and it's not all in focus. Like, you know, the 150 on, on the um, Sigma that was like F 5.6, everything was just in focus. Yep. So if I could get like 70 on F 2.8 of like a common turn or at least turn next year in the summer with the Boca and then get really close to it with because with the turns this year, I was able to get minimum closer than minimum focusing distance with my PF without them flushing or anything. Yeah. Through like really, really slow crawling, just kind of like an inchworm, just like moving every 30, 45 seconds, about an inch or two. And then after like 20 minutes, you get close enough and they're like preening and everything right in front of you. If I could have done that with the 70 to 200 with the um with the Boca, that would have been sweet. I would have liked that. Oh, yeah, no, that would be that would be um fantastic right that, that's why i love having those like, i love the 135 18 mm-hmm, and now yeah. i have the 28 to 70 f2 mm-hmm. it's just like it's wonderful having that child depth of field but also that little bit wider gives you a lot of flexibility right yeah because it's like you can still see what's there and this is what i like about it like you can still see what's around the subject so it's environmental but it's not so in focus that's drawing your attention away and that's what i really appreciate about it like it's soft and you know, especially like if you have a warbler environmental, like you can see all the trees and the types of trees, but they manifest themselves more as like these kind of soft textures that you can kind of see what's going on as opposed to like everything's in focus and it's like there. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I'm mm-hmm. 100% agree with me, agreement with you. That's like the opposite of what Soren likes to have in his wider <laughs> well, shots. We, so when we went to Maine, I I was trying to fish for food and I'm a pretty good fisherman. Um yeah. I didn't catch anything though. Yeah, the, I in, heard that you uh, were yeah, a disappointment. Yeah, well, I did catch two wild brook trout on the fly rod. So I am proud of that. They were just below the keeping limit size. Yep. So they're like three inches long. <laughs> Dude, well, they were blowing up in the stream. They kept hitting top water. Like the whole stream was looked yep. like it was raining because they were everywhere. And none of them, none of them were big enough. Like, and then, but we were anyways, we were on a dock fishing. And then me and Soren got into a discussion on this, whether it was better to have the depth of field fall off in the background and be kind of out of focus or for it to be completely in focus. <laughs> so um, yeah, we were talking about which ones we preferred in that kind of scenario. Shallow better. Shallow equals better. 
Opinion. Yes. That's my yeah. opinion. <laughs> yeah. F2, F2.8, F1.4, that's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, I do get what he's saying, though. I mean, oh, yeah, no, like, I get it's, nice to, it's nice to have him. Um, have, I mean, it's nice to like really see the environment, but I just feel like it's a really satisfying feeling to see that the depth of field and everything and the focus just roll off. Like you watch it, like on some of your shorebird shots, like you can see the sands out of focus, out of focus. It comes into focus and then it just rolls out yeah. into the back. It's just so smooth. It's sexy. <laughs> yeah. And then like, if you're on like, uh, like 155.6, it's all in focus. But also if you're on like 500, 56, everything's out of focus. Like all my turn yeah. shots and stuff, I like them a lot, but it's all just soft sand. Um, yeah, you I don't, do... you don't really have that transitionary zone. Exactly. Yeah. It's just kind of like an in-focus subject. And I do really, I do like in some scenarios an in-focus subject with an entirely out of focus surrounding. I think that can look cool, but that transition is something I really want to get. Um, so I would really like just to get 70 to 200 yeah. at 2.8. So that's my priority right now. Yeah. And I think like, I think for you, like the flexibility of having that teleconver- adding the teleconverter to mm-hmm. 1.4x would probably make me like suggest going for that more expensive 70 to 200 over yeah. the one, uh, the um 70 to 180. I mean, you're, you'll save some money, but you know, you have that like it's fancier, fancier, that's nicer transition zones on the mm-hmm. has a little bit smoother bokeh. Yeah, that little bit extra focal length, which which does make a difference when you're uh, t- taking the shots exactly. and you get the teleconverter compatibility. So it, it, I mean, it's it's a, it's more versatile. As you're paying, you know, what it was a thousand dollars more. So I think it's a thousand more. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, I think I think I might just get the seventy to two hundred. Um, because like I really do want the housing too, but I'm not going to be able to use that for quite some time because I kind of procrastinated the entire summer debating over which camera I want to get the housing for. Um, which just resulted in me not getting one. Period. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just just a bait for another few months. That's all. There we go. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm looking at getting one of those soon because I I also do need to get a wide angle, but I don't really see a pressing need for it right now until next uh, shorebird season. I probably will. Um. Yeah. Don't don't add a wide angle until you've added that medium telephoto. The medium. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, what I want to do next season when the plovers come back is get a ghillie suit and then get there because they come back in like April when nobody's on the beaches yet. So I was like, I was hanging out with them earlier this season. No one's there. And they're just, they're more relaxed. I find than when there's beach goers on the beach and everything, I feel like they're more skittish and kind of like tense and stuff when there's no one there, they just like walk right up to you. I mean, they walk right up to you anyways, but they feel just easier to approach. Um, But I want to get a ghillie suit or like a tan blanket, get a 70 millimeter. Cause I mean, I've had them almost walk on me in like a, freaking blue sweatshirt you know yep. so if i could just get an actual camouflage system going on and then a really short focal length lens and then some bokeh in the background or something i feel like that could be really nice yeah that could be really cool yeah that'd be that'd be i will i'll look forward to those just hypothetical <laughs> shots when you make when you make them i'm hoping yeah it was supposed to be this year but i didn't have the lens to really make it worth it because if i have a 500 there's no point and they'll come within minimum focusing distance if I had a neon pink fucking highlighter suit on. <laughs> so it didn't really make any sense to put that effort in this year. So yeah, but when I get a shorter lens, that's probably what I'm going to go for. So here's a question that you've, uh, something that you brought up earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's what is a shorebird? What makes a shorebird oh, here? Boy. So I think taxonomy is fake science. And Fake science? Yes. So you think science is, is fake. fake science? 
<laughs> Precisely. So a shorebird is when looking at shorebird classification to me, and when I say to me, I just mean it's a fact. Um, a fact. Okay. <laughs> yep, a fact. I look more at behavioral and like phenotypical traits. So what it looks like and how it acts as opposed to this science stuff. <laughs> you know? Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. Science denying cunt. <laughs> Dude, I, so, okay. Here's, so for me, a plover, the shorebirds are little things that walk on the shore and they pick up the sand and they hang out, not necessarily the shore, but marshland, um, freshwater shoreline, saltwater shorelines. So these are things, you know, like willets, plovers, sandpipers. Um, to me, I feel like honestly, like rail, uh, like um, rails and soras and stuff like that also fit in that kind of group. Don't tell Scott. Uh, yeah no that was yeah that was crazy um but yeah so for me a a turn is a seabird just like a goal just because they're not doing short they they fly out into the water and then grab they dive into the water and grab fish you know you don't see like a an oyster catcher doing that right no i I would say you don't see an oyster catcher doing that but you will see a gull kind of picking shit off the ground yeah, often yeah. running around the shore, right? Little mm-hmm. gulls do that all the time. In fact, mm-hmm. the little gulls in my area, they do that. Little gulls for... don't exist. Little they don't gulls, exist. they're not real. Nope, they're made government, up. Government drones. They're made up by the government um to suppress real shorebirdism. And I don't know what <laughs> No, I just okay, yeah. Like gulls can sometimes do shorebirdy things, but I feel like they just don't look like they they look like a seabird you know in flight it's just like you fucking piece of shit <laughs> piece of fucking shit <laughs> guys he's a piece of shit gulls gulls are shorebirds are they're shorebirds that are dressed okay. up as seabirds so what's 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 the the class what's the classification what's the specific group of animals um of birds that is technically considered a shorebird yeah what is a, it it's cardriaformes. Card okay. So under that, that means I believe skuas. Puffins. And puffins. And razorbills. And ra- <laughs> So if we're utilizing your very scientific taxonomical argument, I I refuse to even begin the idea of thinking about accepting puffins as shorebirds. That's you, just you, sinful and wrong and it doesn't work. <laughs> You know what's funny? If you go onto like the Wikipedia page for Cardiformis, yeah. mm-hmm. it's they say shorebirds, and then it's underneath some of these shorebirds are seabirds. <laughs> <laughs> Does it make any sense? Well, aren't are albatross in that group too? No, no, because no. I feel like in the Wikipedia image, I felt like there was an albatross in the image, and maybe I'm wrong, but I remember seeing that and I was like, "What is going on?" Yeah, the person might have been on some drugs. <laughs> yeah, Deaking out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, the albatross are not in that group. Um, there are like, like some upland birds that are in there too. Like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of kind of weird. But you know what's also interesting is um, like rails and um, soras and that group, right? Mm-hmm. They're grouped in with cranes, but if you actually kind of dig into that, it's like kind of made up. They just group them together because they look sort of similar. Yeah, and in actuality, like. Rails might actually be shorebirds. Like that's, might... <laughs> see, that's what I'm saying, man. It works. Um, I also I reject the fa- uh the argument that um 
herons and egrets or shorebirds. They're just not. Yeah, they're like, not. You can't they're tell not. me a bittern's a shorebird. It's just, it just isn't. Um, a gull is more of a shorebird than a bittern. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I'll concede that point. Like it's just you know like green herons. That's not a shorebird. Um, I just had a good point. I was gonna throw out there. We were talking about rails. Um, uh, rails. I feel like they don't even look like cranes at all. Yeah, I think there's some superficial similarities that they kind of put them together. I don't know. It's dumb. Science... They literally science is dumb. See exactly that's what I'm See, saying. Well, you yeah, you know what? It, it's it's funny because like I'm like talking with the science argument and stuff, but then like you you'll see actually like a lot of birders are the ornithologists, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you realize that birders are anti-science. <laughs> I said it. I said I'll, I'll do the I'll do the anti-birders episode at some point. But oh, boy, birders yeah. birders are anti-science. They group things together for no reason. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, like, it, oh, it just fucking drives me insane. Uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, like, I mean, the classical, like, look, look group, um, I, I understand why you would group falcons with, um, Hawks and, hawks and stuff. Aren't they, they do, related to parrots, though? Like, yeah, yeah, falcons are kind of, um, close related to parrots, songbirds. Just mean predatory parrots. Yeah, pretty much. Just, like, <laughs> just wild. Douche, douchebag parrot. <laughs> that's insane yeah no but i understand though because they just phenotypically like they look very similar to like a hawk or yep. an eagle or something so i get that um but uh, rails and a crane okay but if we're util okay hmm. we're using my are my my uh martin culpepper science my martin culpepper taxonomy yes. i think <laughs> i think coots would be waterfowl then because, I mean, you can't tell me a coot's a rail. Like, I know it technically is, but that thing's a duck. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what do you, okay, what do you think about phalaropes? Phalaropes are shorebirds, for sure. But they don't hang on the shore very much. When they get on the shore, they, they're a shorebird. Like, you can yeah, look yeah. at them. Yeah, and yeah. it's like. But it's not that common for them to go on the shorebird. Yeah. On the shore, right? But, like, if you look at, a, if you see they're any con- kind of peep a lot of going people, in the water. A lot of times they're considered to be pelagic. You know, they're considered to be pelagic. Mm. Which kind of puts them in the same category as gulls. <laughs> gulls, yes. No, but like if you look at a peep of some kind, like, you know, a sanderling or something, and you see them go into like a tidal puddle, and then they realize they go into like this little state where they try to walk around the, uh, uh, through the puddle and they realize it's too deep. They'll kind of do a little fallow rope walk in there and they look just like a fallow rope. And then fallow when they get on shore, they just look just like a shorebird. Um, and also they breed up in where do they breed do they breed up in the arctic like in the tundra yeah, i think so and they don't like they they breed on like the shore and everything right and they walk around like shorebirds and their chicks are little shorebird chicks yeah, right? i think so so but then see, again, like but then again like turns kind of breed in a similar way to that okay. too fair yeah the turn chicks are very plovery i will admit that they're very runny and kind of shorebirdy um I well, just, it's because the ancestral state of these birds right is like a plover so like mm-hmm. all, all the shorebirds and, and ox and stuff right um and gulls and skuas like their ancestral form is that of like a plover that's like the most primitive form yeah and then everything else is a kind of derived version of that yeah so they just kind of branched off from there basically yeah yep. so yeah. actually if you if you actually look at the young they some of them will end up looking kind of plover like when they're mm-hmm. when they're little oh for and sure they, yeah and, then they, and they start gaining that more adult form mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of interesting yeah i've noticed that with least turns um they just they look like little plovers they run around really fast and then the adults are just kind of like grounded they don't really run or they, they'll waddle a little bit and then they'll just kind of fly um yeah i had my common turns of running around like shorebirds at my spot eating bugs it was really weird the adults 
like running the 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 um kind of grown up grown up juveniles okay yeah Yeah, that makes it was it was like weird like 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 they look pretty much like adults except for like like a slight difference in plumage right yeah yeah. it was like they're just running around catching bugs Mm kind of like acting like a plover and it's like Mm -hmm. like, what the fuck is this bullshit yeah that's crazy yeah i I... (laughs) (laughs) no i um it's so funny watching the juvenile lease turns at my spot because uh, it's funny watching i didn't really see them run around like that but it's fun watching them learn how to fly because you can tell one, at least I, I was able to watch them and tell which ones were juveniles and which ones were adults from their flight patterns because the juveniles would be all wobbly and then you, they'd literally crash land into the ground like That's a plane. So like funny. I'd watch them just, one of them crash landed, like I was laying down, I was surrounded by turns and one of them just crash landed right in front of me and just plummeted into the sand and then just got up and ran away from me. Um, Yeah, that was... Yeah, that was fun. Oh, we were talking about shorebirds. Shorebirds. Right? Shorebirds, that's right. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I keep like losing our spot. Yeah, I I don't know, but I feel like when it comes to what I classify as a shorebird, it's something that has that kind of bodily shape and behavior that is similar anywhere from like a plover to like say a wimbrel or a curlew or something similar to that. Oh, that long leg, relatively short-ish neck, kind of walks yeah. around probes picks things off the ground exactly yeah yeah that's kind of like my what i think of as a shorebird and there's weird overlaps because like turns their nesting behavior is so much like shorebirds but then they act like a seabird and it's just strange and even if those words have any actual meaning which i think is kind of questionable to assume at this point yeah well i mean seabird seabird is is truly arbitrary like it is like a completely meaningless like meaningless term just doesn't yeah and then i mean i guess shorebirds has that technical classification of whatever that word is i can't remember it Car- cartridge um, form is the order geez, yeah the order of shorebirds yeah that, but my issue and is ox. like then it's like puffins you know? yeah it just doesn't work and then skuas is like no um there was a i think there was at the place i went down to new york to photograph like two weeks after we left not at the exact beach but like very close to it there was like one of the crazy Arctic predatory goal looking birds, like a Jaeger or something like that. I can't remember. Maybe it was like a parasitic Jaeger or something like okay. that. Okay. Is that, am I in the right ballpark? Um, yeah. Jaegers and skuas are based, are the same thing. It was one of those yeah. big badass goal things. And yeah. I can't remember those people posting it. I, I can't remember which species it was for the life of me, but basically it was just grabbing it was like injured or something. It was hanging out on the beach for a considerable long time, a uh, considerable amount of time. But it was just grabbing juvenile like least turns and swallowing them whole. Just eating. Yeah. It was like crazy. Um, oh yeah, probably would be a. I would imagine that would be a skua because the Jaegers are a little bit are not as big. As yeah, that. I feel like it might have been a Jaeger. I can maybe look it up. Yeah, look it up. Yeah, I mean Jaegers and skua depends on where you are in the region how they mm-hmm. they, they change the name. Um. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess the least turns though pretty small, so you actually yeah, like a no, no, it was common turns. Sorry, my bad. It was it turns. was like juvenile turns. Okay, maybe it was a Pomeranian Jaeger. Um, okay, okay, it might have been a Pomeranian. Okay, I don't care enough about this to figure it out right one now. One of but... one of one of the one of the raptorial uh, <laughs> seabirds, I guess. Yeah, Shorebirds. but it was Shorebird going seabird things. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly. Mean goals. But yeah. it was going wild on like on the turns, like it was just eating them. It was really crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, They're fucking yeah, cool. <laughs> they are cool. I saw, I think I saw a peri, uh, parasitic Jaeger in Alaska. I saw some of them of those birds. I don't remember. I'm really, 
man all the birders are probably really mad at me right now i don't think the uh, bird i don't think the birders listen to are this. watching this yeah, yeah fair, i mean they'll, they'll listen to the the kill all birders episode <laughs> that's gonna be incredible that's gonna be you're gonna get so much heat for that oh yeah yeah do you consider yourself a birder at all because i do i mean i consider myself mostly a wildlife photographer i consider i honestly i don't even group wildlife photography and birding in the same thing like if i'm going at at, uh, as like a birding outing it's a completely different mindset than a photography outing but i do go birding sometimes you know um but do you do do you find yourself doing that at all or not really i go birding for owls a lot Owling, yeah yeah um for warblers sometimes Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I hate to admit that because I have a reputation for hating warblers. <laughs> yeah, that's your whole thing. You have to hate warblers. What are you talking about? <laughs> I hate photographing warblers, but I, I do. I don't mind seeing them. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I mean, I I feel like dirty with the word birder. It feels like a dirty, like a dirty <laughs> word. I feel um, like some birders feel scum- the same way about photographers. Yeah. So while I do bird, and I, you could say that I am a birder. Mm-hmm. I do not self-identify as a birder. <laughs> yeah. No, I got you. Okay, here, this might be a hot take, but I feel like I enjoy hanging out with a large... If I'm hanging out with, like, a small amount of people, I'll take wildlife photographers all the way. Like, if they're friends, you know, we're all yep. common-minded. We want to do the same stuff. Like, if you're with a, in a small group with friend birders, there's conflict between lights, good like, good lighting and shooting opportunities versus, like, rarity sightings and stuff. But if I'm just in a big with a big group of people, I'd 100% take birders over photographers. I just feel like they're so much more wholesome and more fun to hang out with. And then the photographers kind of had like a there's like almost a competitive feeling in the air. Yeah, the other is. Yeah, as long as they're not racist, it's usually fine. (laughs) I don't have, you know, I don't have. Okay, so I think we had a conversation about this a while ago. I feel like overall the birders seem to be the nicer people the nicer cohort of people than the photographers but i've heard other people say the exact opposite in their areas you know what i actually would agree with you it's just that mm-hmm. with photographers i can visually avoid them more right like i don't i don't i don't have to interact with them as much mm-hmm. right usually I, I get to be like the apex predator in my little area and i don't and then just and then the other photographers if they show up they either ignore me or like walk away or doesn't you know yeah um Whereas with birders, um, I end up interacting with them more. So I get more negative interactions with birders yeah. because I'm interacting with them more. But I actually do, I do agree that their birders are probably overall nicer. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I feel like, and, and when it's not involving owls too, because then people just get really weird and wonky. But like, if you're, I love, I mean, I like warbler photography in general, Um, but like warbler birding to just the environment during warbler season, the atmosphere is so much fun. There's like birders everywhere. And everyone has their binoculars and everyone's asking what people saw. And it's just a very wholesome, energetic feeling. Um, even though I am focused on photography during those times, it is nice. I I write I like seabird watching too. Um, so I'll go like on a point with a scope or a camera. And I I got this, I'd go on birding trip with some birder friends, and we just sit there on the point and we watch for like alcids, so like razor bills and mirrors, and then um dove keys too. We'll see them off here, which is neat. So, yeah, I mean, I do like birding, um, and I feel like if I have to pick one larger group, I'll pick birders over wildlife photographers, but I still consider myself mainly a wildlife photographer, just because, like, if you give me a choice between a really rare sighting versus a really good shot of a more common species, a guaranteed either way, I'm most likely taking the good shot. Yeah, me too. If that makes sense. 100%. And it's difficult to, because, like, different levels of rarity and stuff like that, um, 
you know, so it's difficult to kind of like judge that. But if you're like, oh, there is a cerulean warbler down the trail, but it's in a terrible spot versus there is a Canada warbler that you're about to get like the best fucking warbler image of your life if you stay here. Guaranteed, I'm going to take the Canada warbler. Yep. So that's yeah. a, me a good segue mm-hmm. into what makes a good image. If it looks graphically cool. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> that's my issue, man. I just... It's a I, debate, right? It's a debate. Oh, oh, what makes a good image? Okay, yeah. here's my philosophy. This is a very controversial philosophy that I've right. argued a lot with other people, and I'd argue that I'm objectively right. Objectively right. I would okay. argue I'm objectively right. I've thought about it a lot. I've argued with a lot of people. I would argue that a good image in a generalistic sense doesn't actually exist. I'm going to make a podcast episode on this for sure. But a good image in a generalistic sense doesn't actually exist because good and bad are just kind of these subjective um, uh, classifications we'll apply to an image based upon our own perceived like uh, lenses that we'll view an image. We all have different requirements, different expectations. And there's different like areas, so you can look at it from a technical perspective. So an image can be good from a technical perspective, but then there will even be subjectivity within like looking at it from a technical perspective. Yeah, like where's the, where's the line? Like is it exactly. sharp enough? Where is yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And people I, I have different definitions of sharp. So basically, for me, I mean, a pixel is just a conglomeration of multicolored pixels. There's no inherent goodness or badness to it whatsoever. So I argue that good and bad images just don't exist, and it's within the eye, like the beholder of the eye. Well, it, it's it's quality, not quality in a technical sense, but it's quality in an overall good or bad sense is just up to whoever's viewing it in that moment. Yeah. So my opinion on mm-hmm. what makes a good or bad image, and the same thing, it's kind of thought about this for a while, is the only thing that can make a piece of art good or bad, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is that if that piece of art translates the idea that the artist wants to do to the viewer doesn't matter what the Mm -hmm. idea is if the idea is to produce something that's visually ugly if the kind of let's say average viewer because not not every viewer is going to share the same opinion but let's say it's the average viewer right um accepts that image as being ugly right and that Mm -hmm. was the goal you've achieved the goal it's a good piece of art it's a good it's a good photo for what it for what you meant it for um and obviously like obviously there's going to be some kind of flexibility there in mm-hmm. to in terms of is it a good image for someone it, it, like not every image is going to be a good image for everyone right? yeah so say i produce an image lots of bokeh right the mm-hmm. idea of the image is to show off lots of bokeh okay yeah pretty, pretty exactly. straightforward. <laughs> i've done my job it, it is what it is right i know mm-hmm. it sounds it sounds stupid but like i did what i wanted to do that's all you can hope for yeah yeah right? exactly the issue is when you start adding extra meaning in into it and mm-hmm. then it becomes this kind of subjectivity. Is it, is it good or is it good art? Does it actually carry the meaning or does it not? And then it's like kind of that's where you kind of get like a little gray area because you know you're not have you translated that original concept that you want to over to the viewer? And if the and if that original concept you want to talk about was just getting starting discussion, then mm-hmm. sure, right? And I think that a lot of a lot of really good art is there to create a discussion on it, not yeah. necessarily to be. One way to or be another. good to be yeah. like to be like technically cool technically proficient right mm-hmm. right if the goal of the arts to be technically proficient then you're going to want to be technically proficient yeah so i think that's kind of like that that's that's my that's my mindset on it i think it's kind of I, you and i are kind of in the same realm there although i know from talking to other people they do not share they do not share <laughs> a similar opinion 
No, um, yeah, I've argued with people a lot on this. And I guess one thing I do get what you're saying. I tend to lean more towards the in the viewer's perception of the art. I think if you have like, let's say you produce an image that's supposed to convey a certain message that still may be subjective because it might fluctuate over different periods of time. It may be if you produce a piece of art today, like a painting today, it may be good at produce like um conveying a message. But in 50 mm -hmm. years, um, due to like, you know, societal ch like changes within the society and the culture and stuff, it may not be good at producing that message anymore or maybe even better. So I feel like it's. The way I think about it, the way I think about it is with the with art when you're viewing art, you always have to look at it from the historical context mm -hmm. of the time. Like look at Ansel Adams' photo. If you view yeah. it from today's standards, right, it doesn't hold up that well, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas if you look at it from the context of the time, right, mm -hmm. it was very successful at what it wanted to do. Nowadays, obviously, there's tons of images that look the same. Some are a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, so I think kind of coming at it from a historical perspective is what I like to personally do. Yeah, and then you can kind of get the try to get the original meaning out of that. And usually with most art, there's a description that will help you with that. Mm -hmm. Photography, sometimes the description, sometimes people don't put a description on. And I, I understand both arguments yeah, there. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, it's interesting. But I know like, I mean, I've made this argument before that it's like a good photo. All it is, it has, is a technically proficient image, but that's not, it's not that's, really, it's not really what it is, right? It's, yeah. if it, it technically, it's, if it's technically proficient, it's technically proficient. That's, that doesn't mean it's good. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I feel like also if like an artist produces a piece of art, but they think it's like terrible and stuff and they disregard it and they don't really have a message that they're trying to portray through it. But then someone finds it like 20 years later, you know, when that artist passes away and they're like, oh, wow, this is incredible. And then like, you know, the masses may assign their own meanings to that and then see how, you know, and then it gets tricky. So, you know what? Yeah. This is super controversial. Mm -hmm. I think the art of that image is in the message that the other person took out of it. Mm -hmm. And they presented that art. So it's so it's actually I consider like their presentation of the art to be the art itself, not the yeah. original piece. Okay. So they've so they've added they've their added meaning to it is part of the art. Mm -hmm. Okay. So would you so you're saying the viewers added meaning to it? Like because if each viewers each viewer can have a different the, perception. I would and say meaning. I would say the the presenter of okay, it. So like a museum or something like that. How if, it's portraying it, that? Yeah. So if the museum is kind of like doing it on the behalf of the artist or if they are found it and they're adding meaning to it right mm -hmm. the added meaning becomes part of the art with that original piece true yeah i get what you're saying yeah um that does make sense i just feel like also when it comes to like the individuals assigning how do you feel about like the individual assigning meaning to it too because like if the person puts out art and they have the intention to evoke sadness in the viewer but another viewer looks at it and they think, oh, well, let's say most viewers get a different mood from that, but they still regard it as an exceptional piece of art. Is that art now worse or is so it? So the question is, why do they why do they view it as an exceptional piece of art? Right. And then yeah, it, just, yeah. it comes back to down to that more subjectivity part. Not. Mm -hmm. But the artists have tech, kind of failed their mission, their mission. Right. They failed their artistic goal. Yeah, true, true. I just feel like though that it may not be tied to the art, the artist's uh, in, original intentions, and it may just be tied to the person who's viewing it and seeing it, and how their interpretation of it, because it may still be prov provoking emotion within them, just a different emotion. And even though that the artist failed their original intention with it, it may still turn out to be an impactful piece of art. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. But if it's impactful, it doesn't translate over. 
what the artists want to is it is it good right there's gonna be a difference between being yeah. good and impactful mm-hmm. well that's that's my issue because i feel like everyone has different definitions of good and someone may if someone if a piece of art doesn't convey the emotion that someone wants it to but people still regard it as a good piece of art the mass is still regarded as a good piece of art i don't why would uh why would the artist's original intention with that like like in here uh I cannot talk right now. <laughs> Why would the artist's original intention with that um, kind of influence the objectivity of its quote unquote goodness or badness? Does that make sense? Well, there's no ob- objectivity in its quote unquote goodness or badness okay. right, with the public masses. But I think the- well, then we we might agree. I'm just I'm just yeah. To, I think yeah. I think where the where the issue lies is that the artist had an so art right. Mm-hmm. I don't want to. I better don't want to botch this. So I'm gonna pull up the definition of art just so I can fucking read it. Oh, and then we get into the conversation of what what is yeah, even yeah. art <laughs> and of <uh>, art. <laughs> I posted on my fucking story on my story like a few weeks ago, dude. I was reading the responses to that and I was like, man, these are yeah, it's interesting. There's a wide variety. We can get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, the expression or application. Uh, uh, sorry, can't speak. I have like minor dyslexia. <laughs> That's okay. Bear with me. The expression or application of human creative skill and imagination, typically in a visual form, such as a painting or sculpture. Okay, so the expression or application of human creative skill and imagination. Um, I don't know if I agree with this, this definition of art, but um, <laughs> yeah. applying it to the artist, and I'm going to add intent in here, just mm-hmm. to kind of, if the artist used creative skill and imagination to apply it to their att- intent, Mm-hmm. And that intent is translated over. Um, then I would say it's a good piece of art. If the intent yeah. is not translated over, I would say it wasn't particularly skilled, right? So yeah. So I mean, you just, uh, I guess it's kind of like the question is is skill important? Is is skill important for art? I would argue no. I would argue no. Like big no. The reason why is I feel like someone could make like let's say you have two or violinists, right? Two violinists. Yep. One of them is going crazy let's say two guitarists actually it's gonna be easier one of them is like an electric guitarist very technically insane very good at playing like tapping and like scales and just all this Mm -hmm. crazy shit it's a very technically good piece a very skilled piece versus someone with just a guitar and they're just singing and they're using like c g e minor d a minor chords just like really basic strumming patterns but overall, that piece of art might be whatever way you look at it, whether it be through um, successfully portraying an original meaning or just making a piece of art that emotionally connects with more people. More people might just like that piece than the piece that is like objectively more difficult to play, if that makes sense. So I think it comes kind of comes back down to the goal, though, of those pieces, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. If one of them is being designed for mass market appeal. One of them mm-hmm. designed as a technical flex. Yeah. Right. Does that one that is being done for mass market appeal mean it's a better piece of art? Uh, well, I, I don't. This my issue is I don't even think the uh, better art or worse art even exists in kind of like a, a philosophical sense. I think art is just art. Like I think it's just it just is. Like you know, songs are music is just vibrations of sound, and how good or bad it is is just applied to us. And I also there is the issue of like with music specifically. I'm not as well versed in like other forms of art. So there's like, if it's out of tune, you know, there's actually like, I feel like a biological reflex to that. You know I mean, you could say it with an out of focus image too, though. Well, I feel like with an out of focus image, it may not be as much of the case. Cause like, I feel like if you show an out of focus image to somebody 
who's like never seen photography before they i mean they might not have that much of a like an inherent negative reflex does that make sense because i feel like if you there's like an actual internal cringe when you hear like an out of focus i wish i had my guitar on me right now like an like an out of um tune chord like if i just hold down random parts on random frets on a guitar or a banjo or something and just play it's like it's just like terrible sounding and people react to that um but i feel like with an out of focus image there's not that kind of intrinsic internal cringe like physical pain does that make sense causes me a lot of physical pain it causes you a lot of- <laughs> trust me you know you're gonna know who i'm talking about but when i look at their page i see their photos i look at them like <laughs> i want to kill myself just saying <laughs> just saying just saying yeah <laughs> No, I mean, I just feel like... You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yes, I know who you're talking about, yeah. No, but skill, putting skill and classifying that is... That's the issue. I just feel like good and bad is different for every single person. And it's just ultimately like opinion that comes down to it. Like someone, a conservation photographer may say... A good image needs to show a story, needs to show conservation, blah, blah, blah. If it doesn't have that, it's kind of useless. And someone else who's an abstract artist may say it needs to be intriguing. It needs to be like mysterious or whatever, whatever. Um, And then ultimately it just gets too convoluted to even pin down. My issue is I don't I don't know if I have a good definition for myself of what necessarily is or isn't good or bad art. I usually just kind of stick with the argument that in and of itself, in a generalistic sense, the good and bad art doesn't objectively exist. I would agree that it doesn't, it's not like an objective thing. There is skilled versus unskilled art. They're true. Um, Yeah. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people make the the boundary. I think that's kind of where the confusion is. I know Mm -hmm. when we were talking about my um, responses to the story, I feel like some people were kind of going from that perspective. Some people were going for that more philosophical perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think like, the skill argument is probably a better argument than just the if it tells a story thing because this that is very subjective where the skill part is there's a little bit more you can draw on. yeah there's but again yeah, it's not sure. it's not like but it, then again the skill is not what makes it good or bad mm-hmm. yeah so i think it's kind of it's interesting interesting debate i would love to talk about you talking to talk about this more sometime because yeah. uh it's 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 always a it's always a good one mm-hmm. um so I better move on to more stuff here. Um, how long has it been? Uh, oh my gosh, it's ten fifty eight already. Holy cow! Yeah, I know. I got like <laughs> half a page left. Um, <laughs> watermarks. Oh used to, yeah. Used to have these awful watermarks. They made me want to die. They were just disgusting and horrible, and you made <laughs> it caused a guttural reaction to a me. Physical pain. A physical phys- pain. Physical pain. It was unethical. Those was unethical. unethical. They caused they <laughs> caused me harm. It caused other people harm. Explain yourself. <laughs> so, I started wildlife photography in seventh or eighth grade, and this is when after you know going back into the lore of Martin Culpepper when I first picked up the camera. This is when I had started doing it more. I'd start going out actively taking images, and then I got a Nikon D fifty one hundred and like this kit, fucking like Tamron three hundred millimeter that was you know really soft, but know that and then i started really shooting on that and i was telling all my friends and i was posting on instagram but you know a lot of my mom was a photographer and a lot of photographers have this view that you need a big watermark older photographers like people have been doing wildlife photography for a long well photography in general for a longer period of time have this view that you need a big watermark to protect your work from being plagiarized or not plagiarized but being stolen or something 
So I'm like, okay, I need a big watermark. And I had this app called, it was something Fox. It was like a Fox um, icon on it. I don't remember. The app was, well, I thought it was really good at the time. And then it got worse. Um, But I was going through the texts and there was this big ass font. And I was like, this one looks great. So I picked that and I would just make it huge. So nobody could steal my image. And it was bad. Like I would make the image significantly larger. You can scroll back on my Instagram and see these, by the way, I haven't taken these down. I have to bear the shame a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah, I put them up and I was posting them and it was so bad. There was this people in my seventh grade, non animal people at all, just my friends or random acquaintances. And they're like, cause like I was, you know, nobody else knew people who was taking pictures of wildlife. I was like the only person in the school doing that. So like, well, this is really cool. But I had multiple times. I remember there's this one girl. She's like, this is cool, but the words are too big, <laughs> you know, just a random kid. And they're like, this is just, you have to make the words smaller. And I was like, Oh, I don't want people stealing my work. I think it looks cool. And now I look back and I'm like, wow, that was horrific. You said you, know? you think it looked cool. Oh, I thought it looked fantastic. Guys, guys, <laughs> it did not look cool. No, <laughs> it was, uh, it was dreadful, dreadful. It was. Look at. It's really Rough. funny. It's really funny. You know what you should do? Yeah. You should start doing it again. But like yes. even bigger, just like good images with the good images right in front. <laughs> just put it right in front. This is a joke. April Fool's maybe. Just, <laughs> just a nasty watermark. Yes. I'm so doing that. No, just like a really high quality image. I've thought about, well, this is funny. On our New York trip with um Soren, he had his like really nice skimmer flight shot that was close. And then he put it in like an AI thing and just typed in grizzly bear. And it like put this top half of a terrible CGI grizzly bear in the middle of the image. And we were trying to get him to post that on Instagram. Like this exceptional image of just this random fucking like grizzly bear. It's like 3D model halfway but no like yeah i could do that just a terrible gigantic watermark i used to be so bad and i thought it was so good too that's that's how it happens though right dude i used to be i used to think i was incredible and i shot all on jpeg and all of my colors were just cooked and shots were not sharp and they were overcropped and they're messy as hell and then yeah my 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 uh improvement in photography happened pretty quickly um, but it was weird because it went from like five years of being bad to then last three years. I feel like I've been decent. That makes sense. You know what I'm saying? I think you're, I think you're better than decent. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I don't know. Like I just, yeah, but the, the process on how that, how that happened was brutal. I don't know if I've talked about this on my podcast yet or not. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe the chats, like, maybe the first episode, maybe, I don't know. Basically what happened was I got added to this group chat of people. All younger people, these are all young wildlife photographers. I was bad, right? So I wasn't good. I came into this group chat. Objectively never... good? Objectively bad? I or was objectively sub... bad. I think objectively... the watermark clears the bar. <laughs> you hear that? Hear that? Hear, you heard that, folks? If you have a watermark on your image, it's objectively, it's objectively bad. Horrible. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, but actually, by this time, I had ditched the watermark, but or it was either I ditched it or it was so microscopic in the frame that wasn't really visible. One of the two. But I get added to this group chat and these guys are like decent. Like at the time, these people, this was like right after pandemic. Um, So this is, I think, late 2020 this was. And these guys are like watching the Ray Hennessy videos, the Scott Keys videos. They're learning about eye level, good light, right? So they're in it. 
I am like one of the tripod photographers that shoots in hard light at this point. So I get added to this chat and the I remember light, you mean the great light. Yep. Middle of the day. It's how you get the highest shutter speed and the fucking blue sky background and stuff. But I was, I got added to this chat out of the blue and it like changed my life completely, you know, with my trajectory of what I wanted to do in the future. But at the time it was not so great. Cause I remember I got added. I wasn't sharing a whole lot of images. It was rough because people started setting my shots in the chat and they're like, why did you post this? This is bad. And I was like, okay, but I went out and there was a shorter owl at this one place. And I had been trying for years to get a great flight shot, great in quotation marks, flight shot of a short eared owl, which basically just means basic ass hard light flight shot of one. But I was hiding behind a bush and I missed the shot where I was looking right down my lens. It was a boring sky background anyway. But then the next shot, I clipped the wing Right. It's looking ahead. I clipped the wing. I overcropped the hell out of it, but I was happy with them. Like, yes, I got it. And I was walking back to the car and then I slipped and smashed my camera into the ice till it <laughs> cracked. It shattered the ice, cracked it, and it didn't break at all. Oh, I wow. do not know. I literally I slipped and I crashed all my force on top of it and it just put a huge chunk. Like it was like three inches of ice on the pavement. Oh, damn. Yeah. Huge chunk in the ice. I thought it was fucked. I, I tested it. It worked fine. It still works today. This is my old setup. So I was not having a great day, right? Well, I was, I mean, I missed the great shot, the in quotation marks, great shot. Um, and then I fell and hurt my fucking elbow. And then I thought I broke my gear, but I got that one shot. I put it in the chat. I'm like, hey guys, I got this shot today. today. What do you guys think? And the first response I got was, you should format the fucking card. <laughs> the first response I got. So I was like, wow. So that chat may have been, slightly toxic at the time but the thing the advantage i had was once i learned about good lighting eye level was a huge one good perspective utilization of foreground stuff like that i had spent so much time in the field and i had built up so many locations and stuff like that and i learned how to move around animals i was able to improve in like a couple months and then it kind of skyrocketed from there so it was kind of brutal in the beginning but that's kind of how my improvement story kind of happened i wouldn't have if that didn't happen, I'd still be taking like horrific shots right now. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you do need that kind of harsh advice. <laughs> I mean, you sure, know that yeah. you know that I, I give it to people now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've kind yeah. of toned back a bit, but I, you know, mm-hmm. I try to try to say, is like, look, see, now I'm doing it. Like, if they ask for it, I'm just, I'll just give it, just send it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I I feel bad. I can't even give normal advice. I just feel horrible. Like people will send an image in a chat, and I'm like looking at it, and I'm like, wow, that's. I don't like that one that much, but I don't want to say that because I feel rude. Even if someone asked me for advice, like, oh, how would you do this? And I'm just like, I've gotten better at it, you know, because I know ultimately it's better if I give advice than just say, oh, this is great. You should post it. And it's like deep fried, you know, but yeah, I don't know. I struggle with it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm people think that I'm a lot like meaner about it. Like I, <laughs> like, I, I take I take joy in giving people feedback on their images. Yeah, sometimes I do, but I'll admit sometimes I sometimes I love just saying like, "Look, you should delete that image and end your format career. the card, format <laughs> end end your career, maybe your life, maybe I'll say that. Sell the gear, sell the sell, gear, sell, <laughs> sell, sell sell the gear, and uh, yeah, just just quit, right? So <laughs> no. I, I I mean it was fun doing it to one person in particular, but like, but oh um, most people I'm not like that for, so. Uh, um most people i actually want to give them like the best advice possible Mm -hmm. and um i try not to give them like a style specific 
piece of advice like i know like some people will like say oh you should do this this and this to an image to make it better but it's like sometimes yeah like if it's really overcooked it just looks unnatural yeah 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 yeah, yeah, 100 percent. or if it's like super over sharpened or out of focus or any of those kind of basic things but Mm -hmm. if it's like a stylistic choice that maybe i don't like but i realize it's like still like acceptable (laughs) in the general in the general world society of wildlife tarvi yeah 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 then it's like okay well i'll i'll i don't have much to say it's like i don't like this but it's fine (laughs) it works yeah yeah. For me, I give a lot of advice if I like the image, but I see ways it can be tweaked. I will just send, like, if someone's like, oh, what do you think about this? If someone they're like, if they, if it's an image I don't like or I'm kind of indifferent about, I won't say a lot. But if it's one that I think is good or has really good potential, I just start like spamming <laughs> just all this stuff. I'm like, oh, like tilt it this way a little bit and then add a radial gradient over here and add a little bit of light and warmth and do all this stuff. Um, but I just I, I struggle giving negative feedback of any kind because I know like it kind of feels like crap, you know, especially when you think a shot is so good. And the ex- also when the experience is good, too. Yeah, I, I, I think that's like it's even worse, right? When the experience they have is really good, they're feeling really happy, really high off of it. Yeah. And then the image comes out of it as a snapshot and, and you're, you're kind of like there and you're like sitting. What do you think of this? And, you know, like in the past, it was like it's a fucking snapshot. But now I, I've kind of mellowed out a bit. Mm-hmm. Be- um maybe like too much sometimes where i'll be like cool moment or it'll say something nice but you won't you'll kind of hide the the truth a little bit yeah that's a really feelings. pretty animal that's, that's yeah awesome. it's like that's a really it's, yeah, it's really pretty it's a photo <laughs> it's in focus good job yeah yeah i right it's the worst feeling when you have an insane encounter and it just doesn't work out for images you know it's the worst i one was I had an encounter like that not too long ago. I can't remember. I had a fisher encounter. I've only seen one fisher in my entire life. And I've lived in like heavy fisher country for 20 years. And I've, I'm always in the woods. I've seen Bob, I photographed bobcats, wolves, bears, grizzlies, all kinds of shit. I've seen one fisher in my whole life. And I got terrible shots of it. And it was a really good encounter. And I remember it just wasn't, I mean, I posted it. And this was before I got added to the chats right before I posted it. And it was horrific. Like there is no detail. Is, I, it, like, is it on Instagram right now? I think I might have archived it. I can unarchive it right now for people. So when this podcast comes out, let me pull this yeah, up. Yeah. Um, unarchive it. Pin it. Let me, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, let me look at these. Um, maybe, maybe, we'll do, maybe, maybe we'll do some, send it to me and I'll, uh, I'll post Thumbnail. it on my, I'll post it on my um, story. Uh, my story or something oh, jesus christ yeah i have so many archive shots man i have like 300 archived images or we'll do like i'll that. make that i'll make that image that kind of represent you as a person oh, you want to see the short-eared image it won't come through on the video but this is the one where i got told to format the card saying cool oh you yeah you clipped the wings bad well i clipped like the wing s- on top i didn't clip the wing on bottom it just cropped, cropped into yeah to make it i mean it didn't make it any That's that the- was that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that was early. That was February 2021. Let me find this horrific um, Fisher shot. Here it is. Okay, You're photographing gonna... owls. Don't clip the wings. It exactly. Doesn't, it doesn't work. Just don't clip the wings, period, in general. It's not a good idea. That's one of the things I used to not care about. I just sent you the Fisher shot on um, on Instagram. Oh, boy. That's... Oh, that's... They'll, get, they'll get my reaction to this. <laughs> it's it bad. <laughs> bad guys <laughs> it's like a it's it's like a shitty snapshot of a fisher <laughs> and it's like soft and like noisy and just like 
it, it honestly honestly it looks like a piece of shit just in the snow <laughs> in this image it's such a it was such a cute fisher though it was adorable i i can't tell you <laughs> <laughs> oh boy well, well the thing also it wasn't a big fisher either it was and you have to remember, I, I hadn't seen fishers at all. And then all of a sudden it ran five feet in front of the car, crawled up a tree right next to us. Yep. I was with Felix and my mom at this point and then ran down the trail and just hung out for a bit. But I didn't, all the images I, I was shooting on JPEG and all the images I took were terrible. I was shooting on JPEG until even after I had became a decent photographer. I was shooting on JPEG. That's something I could mention as well. I was shooting on JPEG for a concerning amount of time until. I think it was like December 2020, uh, December 2021. I think oh, it was shit. a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I've got, I mean, I got decent shots on, I just got really good at editing JPEGs. Um, yeah. If you don't yeah. flex it around too much, it's not too bad. Yeah. It's, that's one thing that people don't, I mean, people, I, I'd never really shot raw and everyone was kind of under the impression that you couldn't shoot on JPEGs. And I was like, eh, it works, you know, but then sh- switching to raw was like a really, really yeah nice thing. I mean, uh, to me, the biggest reason not to shoot on JPEG is just the bit rot. Yeah. So every time you save a JPEG, it gets recompressed. Yeah. So it just starts getting degrading over time. So that's why mm-hmm. I like having the raw. But if, if you, if you manage your files correctly and you have like the original JPEG, you don't, I don't just... manage my files correctly. It's a mess. Okay, so don't 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 be you. Basically. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe for the audience who shoots a JPEG, for start don't, but if you do <laughs> start if, if you do, um uh, switch to raw immediately. But for those old files, make sure that you have that original JPEG in your like Lightroom or something or wherever you're storing the images, and that you save from that one. And then don't try to don't resave and think that you're like it's not rotting the image. It's slowly degrading it. And that's, that's why like some, know, yeah. that's why sometimes when you go on, on um, Instagram, you'll see like a certain shot that someone posted and then they'll repost it. You can tell that it's like, they've saved a few times before reposting it. It's yeah. just like, it's just noisy and grainy and the sharpening is all fucked up. Mm-hmm. And there's like kind of a sapling and all this other, all this other bullshit in it, in the image. Yeah. It just bit rot on there. Yeah. So we were talking about, it was the JPEGs. Um, because the fisher and the fisher was disgusting. It's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. But what were we talking about that led up to the fisher though? It was something about Well, I mean technically we were talking about watermarks. Watermarks and then just degraded into complete randomness. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember. Okay. I don't know. Perhaps I'm... I will move on to the next topic then. That works. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um Soren had his episode mm-hmm. and he stated that a good worst... episode. It was a very good episode. He stated that the worst trend in wildlife photography was plumage shots. And you have some plumage shots, so do I. Um, mm-hmm. What's your response to that? I extremely disagree with that sentiment. Um, I know he's not the only person that has that opinion. I personally know other people who think it's not good. I like it a lot. For me, it's literally just abstract art, but with wildlife photography. And that's what I really enjoy. You know, I like ab- like I like abstract art. I like modern art. I think it's cool. Um and with plumage, I mean, you're able to really zoom in on a beautiful part of an animal and portray that artistically. And I think there are ways to do plumage shots right and ways to do plumage shots wrong. You can do them worse. And I give you it's like some people will do a plumage shot on like a very basic bird, like that doesn't have any cool plumage on it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I do think there's compositional aspects it's to like it. Like a swan. <laughs> like, yeah, or like a freaking... Um, 
I'm blanking on stuff right now. Um, other examples, but yeah, something with like no patterning on it, you know, it's like, uh, it just, and there are ways I feel to properly compose it. I know one of the complaints he had was the, like it was breaking compositional rules. I think overall with the subject matter, because you're supposed to compose the subject matter with rule of thirds looking places or whatever. But I feel like it's, ab you're dis, well, me and him had a discussion about this in DMs. And he's like, well, there's rules in photography for a reason. I'm like, well, those rules exist to specifically to be broken. Yeah, um, I think we'll think we'll get to talk about that a bit. Yeah, continue. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it was, um for me, I just, I, I like abstract art. I really love plumage shots. If you do them right, some of my, even though I have a very basic philosophy for images I like, which is being graphically cool looking to me, I have pretty strict criteria for what I consider to be graphically cool looking. Um, and there's like, if there's a, a minor thing that I don't like in an image, usually it'll throw the whole image off for me. And one of the things for me in plumage shots is if I can see the curvature of the bird, it's a huge turnoff for the shot for me. Interesting. So if I can see the curvature of the bird's back or its wing or something like that. For me, I like it's I like it. I like viewing plumage shots as a canvas, kind of. Yeah, you an abstract two-dimensional two dimensionality. Yeah, exactly. And some three-dimensionality is okay. I don't know if that's a word, but it sounded good. So um some 3D element to that is fine. But if I can really see the curvature of the bird or start to see the edge of the bird, it's an automatic no-go for me. Um, which is yeah. weird criteria. It's I don't know. I don't have any actual like justification for that. I just kind of see it. I'm like icky, then no. And then I just don't like it. Um, but I have quite a few. My biggest plumage shot on my page for sure is my Raven. Um, that's mm -hmm. the one I find people like. Even people, I've talked to people that don't like plumage shots that still like that Raven one. Um, one thing that Soren did say is that I feel like other people share the sentiment is that people will do plumage shots because they feel like they don't have anything else that they can do in that situation. So they yep. just put the plumage shot. With that raven, I got like portraits of it in the snow, like with snowfall and all this crazy stuff. And I still posted the plumage shot like months before those because I just I was in love with the hackles that the raven had in the color. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the way I think about plumage shots is that it's just a element to telling a greater story, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's like Jared Pullen of Frono's photo fame says, mm -hmm. get the wides, mediums, tights, and details. Okay. That's the details. Right. And I, mm -hmm. I liked in my own images, I like to have wide mediums, tights, and details. Yeah. Yeah. So if I, a plumage shot fills that criteria for a detail, so does like, you know, showing off like the foot of a bird or like a small element. An eye or something. An eye. Right. Or even just, a, I consider a headshot to be like kind of in that detail, yeah. detail category. Um, and I, I feel like that makes, you know, maybe the individual image isn't like the standalone image necessarily, mm -hmm. but. Um, although I do really like your your particular image, really interesting light on that one. Thank you. Um, I do think that it creates a stronger portfolio of images when paired in there, right? It yeah. Adds, it just adds like something different because you know what the problem is if you run if you have a portfolio that's all the same style of image, right? They end up kind of degrading each other a little bit. It becomes you start it starts becoming um, a bit cliche for you. <laughs> right? Yeah. So no, that makes sense. Yeah. So. I like to kind of have that diversity, right? Those wides, medium sites and details just to mm -hmm. kind of break it up a bit. And yeah. admittedly, like some of those shots, like mediums tend to do better than the wides and the, and the tights for me on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And they tend to do better than the, than the details. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not making it for people on Instagram. So I don't really, don't really care. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
and I, I want to show all of that. So I, I think I think it, it I think it's a good tool to have, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I would uh, I've said this before, where it's like I struggle to respect photographers that only shoot one style of image all the time. Yeah, I kind of I see where you're coming from coming from with that. Um, but I also I do kind of respect it a little bit. Like I find it kind of like charming if someone's portfolio is like one style that's really perfected and they're very good at it. I I wouldn't do it personally. Um, but I do think that for me there is something I kind of like about it. If that makes sense, I do prefer well, you, diversity. Yeah, like I I think if they're so I I think yeah to clarify, if the person is exceptionally good at one style and that's all they do and mm-hmm. they're like an, like a world's expert in that style like they are the premier bird on stick photographer <laughs> yeah right i think like jan wegner right very mm-hmm. very good bird on stick photographer. it's all he does right yeah. he's very good at it though mm-hmm. uh, you may not like his editing style or kind of cartoonishly 2d images mm-hmm. sometimes but you, you have to admit that he does that two-dimensional graphical bird on stick style really really well yeah exactly right so i like i i I respect that. And if I saw like him do like a shout of the environmental, I'd be very confused. <laughs> he has a couple good environmentals. He does. He does. He does. Yeah. yeah. There's, I think there is a cassowary that he has. And then there's, um, what is that Hawaiian goose? Um, I can't remember the name of it. There's like a goose in Hawaii. That's really famous or whatever, not a specific individual, but a species. Um, yeah. I can't remember, but I think he did one with those as well. Um, yeah, he's done some stuff. I just, I feel like also, like minimalistic, like black and white wildlife photography or silhouettes. If you're really good at those, I feel like there are ways that you can make it stand out, but also I feel like you have to be good at it. You know, it can't be like, yeah, I, I feel like another thing too is I, I think that those styles, they tend to hold their own, but like, I think for like some people, their whole thing is to be like small and frame, right. Yeah. Or like large or just large and frame. And that's like their, their, their style. Their whole thing. Yeah. But like, what tends to happen when we see somebody that shoots small and frame only um, and shoots it in a way that maybe doesn't, isn't like um, landscape focused on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the images will tend to look just like telephoto small and frames, which tend to be very similar to each other. Yeah. And, yeah. and eventually over time, you just keep getting the same scenes, the same kind of light over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. You create this portfolio of images are kind of like rip offs of each other. Yeah, I feel like also like I could see that competition. Like if you for me also, I won't post I try to not post a ton of images from one session. Or if I do, I try to post them so far from each other that they don't really cannibalize each other or compete. Cause I feel like if you have a style that's very similar and you just post that and each one isn't like different enough and very exceptional, you just run into the issue of like you post enough of them and they're like and the people are just like, okay, well, this one's really good and it's better than that one. And then that one's better than this one. And then just kind of a hierarchy that gets formed and it kind of degrades the value of the others, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the way I think about it, because I, I do like sets of images like that, mm-hmm. is um, I think about it as the set and the set of images is stronger than the individual. Yeah. And I present I present the set as like a series, right? So the volcanic series. Well, I think the way you do it is good, though. I feel like... The way you do it, it can be different enough. I don't know. I just, maybe I'm thinking more of like a post where it's like a carousel, like a scroll. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like that. that's really emphasized in that. I should have probably. Yeah, yeah, that a yeah, bit. yeah. I'll also say that the way that I tend to shoot a series is that I tend to go and take like different types of images or like if they're, if it's a splash or something, splash base, all mm-hmm. splashes are random. So it, everyone's a little bit different from each other. Yeah. So it creates a kind of a different kind of aesthetic. 
where I understand what you're saying, where it's like sometimes you don't have that like extra artistic element to it, mm-hmm. and then they just post like the same uh, session that they had, and all the images are pretty similar to each other, and yeah, then it, it just yeah. becomes like a hierarchy. Like for me, and I also know it's different for some people. Like um, when I was with um, we were when I was with Soren and Macy, we were talking about this, and me and Macy were. Macy was saying basically after a trip he takes, he will post, he'll take the images that he likes and he'll build up to his best image from the trip where, and I'll just, I'll just post the best one first. Like the best one I have is like the heavy hitter and I'll post that first, separate it with a couple posts and then post again, like my Bobcats. Um, when I, when I was shooting those, I posted the port. I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite or a best from that session. Cause I got so many different things, but for like the first post I got was like the high key portrait. It was really heavy hitting. Um, and then I separated that with like one or two posts and then posted again and then tried to separate that. Um, but I think the way you do the series is really good. Thank you. <laughs> You're okay, yeah. I think you do it good. Yeah. I just, I, I'm yeah. I, I try not to post like in a carousel on Instagram um, because I feel like there is too much competition within that specific post and people might just scroll through it. And then the one that the one other ones might still be good, but they feel degraded when they're presented at the same time as like a better image. Yeah. And that's why I, I try not to present like say volcanic or splash images mm-hmm. to each with each other, because mm-hmm. what, what happens is like there is like one, especially with the, there is like one or two that are, are like exceptional or like exceptional. And then the other ones are like good. Right. And then yeah. when you put a good image next or a good, or even like a very good image next to an exceptional image, it just looks bad. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah, that's my issue. Yeah, because it can be good, but if you, I mean, if you put it in like a group, it's like you see that that good one. They're like, wow, and then the other one's like, oh, well, I mean, compared to the other ones, it's not like I have that sim similar thing because I'll ask people for advice on on an image, right? And it might like if you send it someone advice, like from if you or me or send advice to someone on a shorebird image, you're like, hey, how do you feel about this? I'll get the response like that's good, but you you have better shorebird images. So like I feel like my like the shorebird images that I have I might have some really good ones and then that degrades all my other ones that I get that still may be good but they don't match up to the level of my other like shorebird stuff per se does that make sense Yeah it makes perfect sense I mean that one of the things that I've been doing is just kind of separating the styles mm-hmm. of those shorebird images with the series right and then I'll, yeah, yeah. sometimes I'll break it up and just posting like a more basic shot Funny mm-hmm. enough one of my my one of my basic shot my one of my most basic shorebird shots it's actually my most liked image now. Which oh, really? Which pisses one is me it? off so much. Ah, oh, the fucking. You can tell I don't like it that much. The the fucking <laughs> Dunlin, like just basic Dunlin portrait, that became my <laughs> most liked, outdoing the red knot wide angle. No way. And like the volcanic. Are image. you serious? Yeah, I'm fucking serious. Yeah. This one. Yeah. Are you what the it hell? Was li- it was literally a filler to break up good images. I mean, that one's not bad, but it's like it's bruh. a basic shot though, right? It's like it's a. Yeah, no. It's like my literally my most basic image, and it's your most liked. You said, or... yeah, yeah. What? No, that's not right. Right, and it's all non-followers. Because I feel like your long exposure heron, Soren Soren really liked that one. By the way, um, your long exposure heron like this one that you no. got, and then your red not wide angles, which were just wild. That's your most li- Instagram. Yeah. Post broken man. yeah it's broken the red knots the set the red knot wide angles a second followed mm-hmm. by i think the volcanic one that's pinned there was, I, I understand those ones right because those, those are, are good those, those are, are good nice. they're exciting 
This was literally was literally just filler to break up the feed. <laughs> the most basic ass. Not insulting. It's still good. Oh yeah, yeah. No. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's but sharp. it's like it's really sharp. I'll give you sharp. that. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, no, I feel that. I mean, I I think my most liked, my most liked actually is not that good of an image. Let me go to my page. I feel like I feel bad because on the YWPPC, that old thing I used to run, yep. um, that we would post images on the screen itself. But on my podcast, I don't do that anymore. And I feel bad discussing an image because like the viewers can't look at it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where did I put? Did I archive my most liked shot? I should have. It really wasn't that good. I got an image of a bison where there was a magpie sitting on its head. And that got a, a significant. I think it got more likes than my bobcat shots. Oh, well. Um, even though it was a long time ago. So let's see. My first bobcat portrait got okay so my first two bobcat portraits got a lot yeah i think those might be my most liked actually um, okay that's good at least <laughs> yeah yeah that's good those are decent shots but it's it's random like i'll post a shot i really like and it gets like 130 likes like my most recent bobcat shot i felt was pretty good and it got it got it tanked like it did not do good at all yeah i had a really nice uh environmental shot i don't remember which one and it it got fucked. It got fucked by all everyone. They got, had like a hundred likes. The next, and I post like the fucking, and I post a fucking basic shot, and I have like fucking thousands of likes. I was like, "Fuck you." Yeah, yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's just broken, and that's why I feel like it's really important that people disconnect the value of likes. Like, it really doesn't mean it's good or bad. I mean, if you're professional and you're trying to build a client base that or a print base that may be different, <laughs> but I feel <laughs> like. <Stings. laughs> But also, even only different to an extent, though, too, like, I feel like, like, you shouldn't post an image and feel bad that it didn't get likes. You know, I know a lot of people will post a shot, not get likes and feel genuinely bad. They're like, wow, it sucks. And I'm like, no, it just people didn't connect with it for whatever reason. And yeah. I used to feel or, the same or just, way. Or just didn't get delivered, right? It's yeah. Just, yeah. I don't like to blame the algorithm. I find, I feel like a lot of people will blame the algorithm when it just doesn't align with their follower base sometimes. Like, people yeah. will be like... I feel like people often re, um, resort to the algorithm blaming firsthand, like first people will always just go, oh, the algorithm sucks. And I'm looking at the shot. I'm like, it may not even be a bad shot, but I'm like, dude, this does not like. doesn't translate. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's just not working. Either the shot's not great or it's just not really built for your follower base, which yeah. is fine. You know? Yeah. What, um, what, I, what I like to do is I like to look at the, um, how many people have seen the image and look at how many likes they got and then it'll kind of if, if they have barely anyone's seen it then obviously there's something from with the, the delivery yeah but, if, yeah. but if, if like thousands of people have seen it and it's like five likes on it it, it just it did not connect <laughs> yeah exactly and sometimes that's okay too like yeah. sometimes like even if you are a professional like you just can post a shot you like yep. and if no one likes it fuck it like it's your yeah, image, you know that's, so. that's that's the funny thing with that dunlin photo is it was not delivered to many of my followers Mm-hmm. and the ratio i mean i my followers like my photos most of them like maybe probably 50 percent will yeah, yeah. be delivered to they'll like the photo but it wasn't mm-hmm. delivered to that many of them it but it, for some reason it got delivered to a bunch of non-followers oh that almost never happens on instagram i know with it's rare anymore it's like it's like it's like 80 percent non-followers really yeah versus That's like weird versus the red knot which is like 50 50 mm-hmm. um or like the volcanic images which are some of them are 50, 50 some of them are like 90% followers. No, yeah. yeah. I feel like Instagram's, this is kind of slightly related, but Instagram's algorithm is just so broken because it's really focused on like reels and stuff. I thought you said you weren't going to blame the algorithm. 
Oh, no, no, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I'm not blaming the algorithm for like specific posts, but I think generally speaking overall, I will, okay, I will maybe blame the algorithm for my last Bobcat post because I feel like that was really solid and like just got like really low likes. But I usually don't, like if I usually post an image and it doesn't do good, I'll usually just say, okay, this didn't connect with my client, oh, my, not my client base, but my follower base or whatever. But in general, though, for like photos on Instagram, the algorithm is just like tanked. Like, didn't they get rid of the recents tab on Instagram tags, hashtags? They might have, yeah. Because like, that's the whole point of a hashtag. So you can see the yeah. recent posts and find new people. So it's like, well, what's the point? And now it's just all reels. And then the real market is saturated now. I wish I'd gotten in on the reels gold mine when that started, man. Same, same, man. Fucking, Fucking I, the, only, the only reason I didn't is because people in the community were like judgy of real photographers i, I wish i had the short jesus nickname when that started mm-hmm. then just i just and I just lean into that yeah it's just <laughs> i mean people were like oh real photographers are selling their soul and they're doing the bit to bit and i was agreeing with them because I, I didn't want to get judged now i could have had two hundred thousand followers yeah. right now and use I, that see, as a jumping base for conservation yeah. and stuff and to promote my work and maybe do this for more for more profit but no, now I have to work in this super saturated market and it's just going to be a really difficult Yeah, time. yeah. And you know the thing is, I, I agree with those people that it's like they're kind of selling their souls there. But yeah. also, I wish I was the one who sold my soul. <laughs> well, here's my issue. At first, I was like, oh, well, they're compromising their artistic vision and, you know, sacrificing their work and degrading it. But now I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm like, okay, well, if I'm 87 and I'm on my deathbed and I'm surrounded by people in my life and stuff. Am I going to look back and be like, you know what? I'm glad I didn't post reels and kept my 3000 follower base and kept the respect of like 10 of my followers. Like, am I going to look back and really, or am I going to look back and think, wow, I got 200,000 followers and I was able to build a career off of that. Does that make sense? You know? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. So Uh, I've started making reels now because of that. Yeah. I'm probably, you know, I should have made educational reels. You should now, you should now. You should yeah. right now, after we end this call, you have the whole R3 or R5 webcam and everything, dude. You could film some awesome gear fucking reels and talk about, oh, you dude, you know so much about gear, man. It'll happen. It'll happen. It just, It'll, it should happen tomorrow. You should do it. Dude, you could, you, your get, client can... base could skyrocket, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You got a point there. It could like. For gear consultations, you put a gear consultation link in your bio, and then you just do all these educational reels, and then maybe make a video course or something like that, and then boom, you just scale your business up like crazy. You know, yeah, and then you know what? Then I could just, uh, I don't have to do much either. Then, if you actually, that that would be, fuck. Okay, that's a good we'll, idea. We'll, yeah, it is very good idea. We'll move on. Okay. Yes. 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 <laughs> we'll move on to the hot round so we can finish this because we've been on for a while. Okay. okay. So the hot round here, I just asked you kind of questions and you're gonna answer them we'll have a maybe little mini discussion but not too much discussion on it mm-hmm. sound good okay. shorebirds versus warblers that's tough yeah, there's, um, there's only one right answer so for photography shorebirds but yeah. overall Correct. don't be fucking there <laughs> warblers are so pretty though they're really colorful fuck you Dude, a black-footed uh, blue warbler man oh, come on my all my shots of them are of a dead one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> It died on my window. Oof. I've never had a bird die on my window yet. You're lucky. I, I know. Like, it's weird. I've never had it happen. Not once. For some reason, I had this, do you curry toilet paper? No. Do you carry toilet paper when you're shooting? I do not. Why? 
because I just have never. I mean, I, I maybe if I'm doing like hiking and camping, but I've never really run into that as an issue. Seriously, you never no. run into shitting yourself in the field as an issue. <laughs> no, I'm just built different. It just doesn't happen. Just built different. Yeah, exactly. So, do you shit beforehand? I mean, I guess I don't know. I just it's never been an issue for me. It's just like it just yeah. <laughs> standard standard question. This has become a staple question here. Yeah, just standard wildlife photography. Yep. Yeah. You're that you do not have an asshole for everyone wondering. I'm a robot. He does not shit. <laughs> not a person. <laughs> um, what is the worst wildlife photo trend? Oh uh... say camera traps. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Soren. Oh, we didn't even get to talk about the camera trapping. Shit. We can talk um... about we can talk about the right now. Okay, let's oh. ditch the rest of the hot round and just do this. Okay. I got um, questions in here I want to ask. Oh, you still got this. But, but yeah, okay. so let's let's talk about the fucking camera trapping thing. Very quickly, I which is that. which is the worst wildlife photo trend. <laughs> um yeah, so the camera trapping, okay, for actually I'll answer the worst wildlife photo trend really quickly. Um fuck, I don't even know if I have one right now. Oh my gosh, I can't even think about that. I mean, I can, but I can't think of an option. I almost want to say bad plumage shots. Bad not good plumage, plumage shots. shots, but like just people trying to No, I think honestly when people try to jump on a trend and they just do it wrong and it's just not good. Does yeah. that make sense? You know, I don't I know. feel it with with um my actual least favorite photo trend. Which one's Long, that? one of my one one of my actual least favorite photo trends is bad small and frame images. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Because it's losing, just like just it's, like, it's, a, it's a snapshot of a bird in the fucking like <laughs> Sky. Fuck, fuck, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> oh, okay. Here is something I used to think was good. Okay, I think I used to like these, and now I've kind of like high key sky, like minimalistic bird on a perch against a white high key sky. Yeah, those are those suck. <laughs> I used to like those a lot, and now I I don't know. I look, uh, yeah, that might be, I feel like people still do them well, especially some of the Australians, they can nail it, but yeah, I don't know. For me, I think that might be it because okay. like I see it now. Anyways, um, but for the camera trap thing uh, really quickly, because I know we we talked about that before the thing, it's, I respect camera trapping a lot. I think it's really cool. I, but I do agree with you that activating the mechanism is a fundamental element for taking an image, but not necessarily making an image. The issue is it's a, just an entirely, it's a semantics debate. It you know is what I'm semantics saying? debate. Yeah. It's all semantics. I mean, I think what a photographer is, is someone who takes an image. I think, but here's the thing though. I don't think camera trapping, because like if someone puts out a trail camera and it gets video, I don't think that's a video that the person took right? That's a video that they set up and that's a video that they kind of orchestrated and whatever, but I don't, I don't think it's an image that they took, but doesn't mean that there's any less value in that. So with like a camera trap image, I wouldn't say it's an image that they quote unquote took, but it's still an image they made. It's still a piece of art. And ultimately camera trapping has, I respect it the same as normal photography, just in a different way. And I think it oftentimes takes as much or in some cases even more skill and hard work than normal photography does um so like camera trapping trying to camera trap say a bobcat is going to be harder than trying to photograph a shorebird you know what i'm saying um mm -hmm. just you know because there's a lot of effort and soren went through with this on his podcast where he talked about 
um, you know, just the knowledge of where animals are going to pass through the amount of hiking and work that goes into that and ticks in the swamp and stuff like that, you know, just very difficult situations. And I respect that. But the analogy that I make when it comes to is camera trapping, is that like actually a, photo a photograph you took or are, is it as a camera trapper? I just call them like a camera trapper. Are they a photographer? The an analogy I'll use is let's say you have a digital artist who primarily specializes in watercolor style digital art. So they're like not an AI artist. They're a legitimate digital artist. And then you have an actual watercolor artist and they're both painting the same waterfall scene. The end outcome of the art may be virtually indistinguishable for the most part if they have similar styles, except I wouldn't call the digital artist a, a, a watercolor artist. I'd still call them a digital artist, even though there's the same amount of respect in between those two arts. There's the same amount of skill in different areas you know, in different capacities, but at the end of the day, it's different things. I understand that may be slightly disanalogous because with camera trapping and wildlife photography, it's the, you know, fundamentally it's the exact same. It's just both images. Um, but I just think that activating the mechanism conscious, well, I don't, when, when it comes to if it's conscious or not, it's an issue, but I think activating the mechanism is a fundamental element because if you get rid of that line, there's, I, there's no real hard line you can draw it at. Like if I'm taking somebody yeah, out. Exactly. It's it's it is the one area you can make that hard, that hard line. Yep, and hard it's line. and it's a logical hard line too. It's not like arbitrary. Like if I'm out on a workshop with somebody, or like I've had times where I've brought people out to shoot with me and it wasn't like a paid workshop, but I was like showing them how to shoot. I line them up with a plover shot, I'd lay right next to them, line up the shot, tell them to scoot where I just was, and I tell them the exact settings I'm on. And then they'd shoot it. I'm controlling that entire scene pretty much and directing that entire scene. They're pressing the shutter. They initiated that. Is that my image or their image? It was, if it's my image because I orchestrated it, then, I mean, I don't have a legal rights to it, but like logistically, should it be my image or should it be theirs because they took the image or is it like a kind of a mix between the two? Yeah. And I I know I, I had the poll, right? On my page. Yeah, yeah. And I asked people that and because I think a lot of people said it was my image and it it's not like it's just straight up not my. I did not take the fucking it, image. No, it's not your image. And if you like, if you brought people on a workshop, and then at the end of the workshop, you're like, oh, by the way, all of those are my shots. Like, no, like that's not why you pay. Like, if you pay someone to go on a workshop, and they line you up with a shot and you take it, that's not their image or yep. partially their image. Even though they are partially responsible for directing it, you took the image. It's your image. And if you were a workshop director and try to tell all the people that it was your images i'm pretty sure they would like fucking kill you or something yeah they would lose <laughs> like, their shit like it's ridiculous and also objectively you just don't have the legal rights well, to it either. i mean the way i think about it right is you know the pressing the triggering of the shutter is the part mm. that actually makes the final step of the image and that's if if you do everything in the image but you yeah. don't do that step there's no image being made you're not well there's no you didn't no i disagree there right. is an image being made but you didn't take it i no, said no, I'm, I'm saying so i'm saying fundamentally if the mechanism oh isn't active isn't activated at all there's no image being made that's all i'm saying so okay. basically, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah, basically yeah. i'm saying is you're not taking a photo if you don't take a fucking photo right, <laughs> right? yeah and then and then who that photo who took that photo becomes kind of the, the fucking photographer like, like uh, i don't know it's difficult yeah i i still say <laughs> that a, a camera trapper makes images they make art and i don't think the term photographer necessarily holds any moral weight like i don't oh, no, think it doesn't it has no has no moral weight it's just a technical thing yeah it's like i don't thing. think it's bad that 
I just think that camera trappers should be a separate category of of photographic artistic you know art or what that was terribly worded but you know what i mean you know i just think it should be like a different um a different title like camera trapper just due to those kind of fun that fundamental difference of actually activating the mechanism even though it takes amount, a tremendous amount of skill and I really yeah you know it. it's it's a it's just you know the thing is it, the skill set is different enough mm-hmm. and the functionality of it is different enough where it, yeah it's it more tracking it's, and it's more it's just, it's just a different thing completely yeah even though it's like it's it's really cool it's still slightly yeah. different yeah how do you feel about the trail cam and security camera question um I, I it's just an image that got recorded i mean i mean it's a video that got recorded um i wouldn't necessarily say oh well with a trail cam oh wait well with a trail camera no no they're motion activated never mind i mean if you had a trail camera that you hit record on and then stuff was coming through actively while it was recording that you hit record that would be different but it's motion activated yeah, it's so. motion activated. so yeah, the thing is a lot thing. of people a lot of people said the argument was that those are not in the same category as camera traps but the way i think about it let's say it's a security it camera it's it's literally the same fucking thing right? it's the same thing like yeah, a, there's like a security camera footage right just because you know a lot of people think of it, it they think they're thinking about like the who set, who set it up and the intention right yeah, but yeah i mean if you're in now we're gonna go back to the attention and art and stuff <laughs> but if your intention with your art is to capture people unconsenting going through an area right that's mm-hmm. kind of right whether it be a security footage a trail cam or mm-hmm. um camera trap yeah right they're all fundamentally the same thing it's just you don't respect it because it's it's it, it, because of what it's normal application i think objectively the issue is with trail cameras and stuff you would objectively according to that logical rule set that uh, someone is applying to camera trapping you would have to say that you took a video that was caught on a on a trail cam or a security camera because it is the same thing despite the lack of intention just the technical the physical elements of it are the same thing so you would have to concede the point that someone took the video on a trail camera which i think most people wouldn't say i think there there'd be a kind of a pushback on that the issue is also i don't want to come off like i'm hating on camera trapping or i don't respect it like i do i think it's badass i just think semantic i just think semantically there should be a separation between the two because i think there is that big enough of a difference uh, both in the fundamental difference of actually activating the mechanism, but also the skill set involved. You know, it's, it's just, it's just different enough to be like its own category. Yeah. And I I do, I was talking to Elise about this and our relationship is rocky right now, but Mm -hmm. she wants to talk about this anyways. It was important enough that we got together to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was, cause she fucking hated that episode. Um, she hated Soren's episode. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Oh she, no. She just, she just strongly disagrees with him. Anyways, <laughs> um, but we were we were we were talking about this, and we we're saying that's like, and she's like, yeah, no, a camera trap fundamentally does doesn't take any skill, right? Because she views camera traps. No, that's wrong though. To, I'll, I'll I'll get to that point. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So because she views camera traps, trail cameras, and security footage all in the same category, and technically, it does not require any skill to set up a trail cam pretty much pretty much no skill and it to take photos right mm-hmm. so i think it's kind of comes down to the category of like i guess it's kind of the question of like you know a snapshot versus versus other kinds of photographs too where yeah. it's it's like the basic entry into it requires no actual skill right yeah but to do it well it requires skill and but- so the kind of question is what's what do you where do you put the 
that's skill capped. Do you put it on the barrier to entry, or do you put it on to be proficient at it? Well, the barrier to entry for wildlife photography is the same thing. You could just be an ass wildlife photographer who just takes terrible images. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think and... I think what, what the thing is that people, a lot of people, based on the polls, do differentiate like a snapshot mm-hmm. shooter from a photographer. They like like they I, I know technically oh, they're a photographer, right? But yeah, you know, they, they I consider, don't. That's where I could they, see. They, yeah. they consider them to be a different category, right? Uh-huh. And I, I think Soren, based on what he was saying, considers like the trail camera people to, to be, be the like snapshot snapshot or equivalent but i wouldn't agree with that either um okay here's the thing so i think saying i think the saying it needs skill should depend on whether or not to be proficient at that requires skill i think yeah there's no i mean you can put a trail uh, a camera trap out in the woods and with one flash and just do it terribly and take terrible camera shot, uh, camera trap images and get like no images. Cause you didn't set it up in the right place. You put it in a fucking parking lot or something. But I think camera trappers put in a r- tremendous amount of work and there's a lot of skill involved and there is fundamental photographic skill too. There's compositional stuff. That's a huge part of it. Finding an environment that looks good. And yeah, sure. People might do that badly, but finding a scene first off, hike, putting in the effort to hike, Knowing, having the natural, like the ecological knowledge to know, okay, the animals may cross here due to these factors. That's a whole different set of skills. And then being able to look at that scene that meets that requirement for heavy animal traffic and then being like, okay, this would make a good image because of X, Y, and Z. X, Y, and Z. That objectively takes skill. Like it just does. So my question to you mm-hmm. with yeah. that is with camera trap, wouldn't you just not give someone a set of instructions of how to set up the camera mm-hmm. and then where to place it and how to make, create a basic composition. They're not actually, they're not actually actuate, actuating the mechanism. They're not actually having to find the animal itself. You just yeah. give instructions, right? That requires no skill in their property they're being told to do. And they could reasonably successfully create good images that way. But I feel like part of it is like for finding a compositionally and compelling scene is part of it's like a feeling thing as a photographer. You need to be able to look at that and be like, you can't just say to somebody like, oh, these are things to watch out for. And like, yeah, maybe. I think you could probably create a set of guidelines and like an actual Mm -hmm. compositional rule list. Tell the person to follow that specifically. Yeah, to create a pretty good image. Like you can do it with landscape photographers when you're mm-hmm. t- teaching someone, you just tell them to follow this list of things to do, and they'll create yeah, a yeah. good image, right? Mm-hmm. You could do that with a camera trap as well, because they don't have to actually get the animal there specifically. Yeah, well, I just feel like also wildlife photography has part of that there too. Like with shorebirds, for example, you could tell somebody a list of hey, lie in this position when the shorebird is moving here at this elevation from the shoreline wait for it to come to a certain distance, compose it in this way, use these settings, and then boom. And then they could make a good image. And I mean, it depends. And also it, with camera trapping, it depends on what animal you're trying to camera trap too. Yeah, like the, the one of the things I would say that's slightly different with the actual photographer in mm-hmm. that situation yeah. is um, they do have to have the ability to operate that said camera. Even if, even mm-hmm. if you give them instructions, if they don't have the actual skill to operate the camera, they're not True, able yeah. to get the image. Whereas with the camera, they don't actually operate the camera once it's set up. They could put it on auto though, and then do okay. Unless they, it's like ridiculous, unless it's like ridiculous lighting situations, like some weird backlit or something. If you yeah, put but it on auto, they would probably struggle with the autofocus though, and create Fair. sharp images. Whereas with the camera trap, doesn't really have that situation. 
Hmm. Yeah, no, that is part of that. Um, I guess. Yeah, no, I do get what you're saying to an extent. I still think, though, despite the fact that you may because I think landscape photography takes skill, right? Even though you could tell, give somebody a list of things to do. I think landscape photography is still something that requires skill to be proficient at, you know? I don't, <laughs> this is going to sound horrible. I don't oh think it boy. does. You don't, I don't think it I, does? I don't think, I don't, I don't think it does. I think you, <sighs> you can give someone location, give them mm-hmm. the time to go, tell them the settings to do. There's no, there's not really any like particularly difficult technical skill there mm-hmm. and they'll get the shot. It's, it, I consider that to be almost like, it's not even like, fuck, this is not terrible. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's not even, it, it's real art in the way that conceptual art is real art. You give them a set yeah. of instructions, right? To mm-hmm. do, and anyone can replicate it, right? I don't know. I know some people who are like really good. One of them that comes to mind is Corey Hart. I don't know if you know him or not. Um, He's a younger guy. I shot with him in Alaska last year last summer but he i mean he's good he's like a good landscape photographer and there's these other good landscape photographers and you can give somebody a list but i feel like in the same way with camera trapping even though you give them things to watch out for they're going to miss compositional subtleties and stuff that are just going to seriously impact the image yeah i think what you, know what you could do i think what you could do though mm-hmm. is with landscape in particular because the landscape yeah. is fairly similar uh-huh. you could you could legitimately draw out the composition of the scene tell them just to do that I feel like, okay, that might work with landscape. I feel like that could right. work with landscape. You I could probably feel, do with camera trap too. I just think with camera trapping though, it might be too complex. Like you might not be able to draw an ideal scenario where it's like log here, this here, because you have to find that. And then you have to find that in an area where it'll be good for the specific species you're targeting. And I think with landscape, you could easily say, okay, tree here, mountain here. And you could do here. with a, you could do with an urban uh, scene though. An urban urban scene, trap. yeah. Maybe. Oh, this is complicated. Urban. Um, you could do it with like a more landscape type scene where it's like a landscape that people can notice. Okay. Yes. But here's the issue as well. Even though you're, even though the person without skill is doing it, it is still requiring skill and knowledge from the person who is, yeah, yeah. is supplying. That's why. Them. That's why I'm saying it's like conceptual art. This the art. The artist is the person who thought of that idea in that particular case. Despite not being the photographer, not being who initiated it, who uh, actually yeah. Did so, it. so so so. Oh, you well, okay. You might want to yeah, be yeah. careful because someone might use that to say that you think camera trappers are photographers. Yeah, no. So they're not photographers. They are artists, though. They're yeah, conceptual yeah, yeah. artists. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Okay, right. Man, so I... like like when I'm teaching a class and I compose the thing for everyone, I'm the conceptual artist, even though I'm not actually taking the photographer the that took yeah. the image yeah no i would agree that's a good way to put it because like, and i guess that's a case where a photographer isn't it is not an artist well but the photographer is taking it they're initiating it right yeah but they didn't actually do the art well they made the art well the art is right it's like the person say... the person who sets up a conceptual art piece is not mm-hmm. the artist the artist is the person who thought of it yeah um well i guess i wouldn't say that the scene is the art i'd say well it may be but then I wouldn't say conceptual artists aren't necessarily, fuck, this is getting complicated. Yeah. You, you might need a whole new episode for this. I want to keep going, but it is, oh my gosh. It's Worst so case bad. scenario, I can split it into two. Two? I'm down to keep going if you're down to keep going. But... Keep going. Worst case scenario is we run it long enough where I have to just, I just drive back out to visit the boys. And uh... <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. So, okay. So, oh boy, big brain time. Um, So I would say that, Arts. So my definition of art, because I never, I don't think I listed this out. My definition of art is just 
maybe this is a flawed definition, but anything that's man-made could be considered art. So like a chair, a flagpole, whatever the fuck, a painting, obviously. Um, Because someone may be able to interpret that in a way, may be able to interpret some emotional reaction out of that. Now that I'm putting this to physical words, this kind of sounds garbage. Um, It does. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I used to have such great arguments for this, but I had this college class when I was in college last year, and... I was arguing this in this class. It was like some fucking, I don't know, some philosophy class or something. And I was making it make sense, but now it's really not. <laughs> it's really not. Um, No, but that's tough because I think the photographer is still making the art because you have that scene there. And I wouldn't say the scene is the art. I would say the data, the data that's being transferred to the sensor and then being, you know, recorded is an art piece. And the photographer is making that by initiating the mechanism and they're recognizing it's the the physical manifestation of the conceptual art. Hmm. So, okay, wait, can you, because it is getting late and my brain is running (laughs) on low power. So I'm down. I'm still good to keep going, but can you define conceptual art for me? I will pull up the dictionary definition. (laughs) Great. Okay. Let's do that. So I could kind of follow along. Hopefully I'm not just, Hopefully I didn't just bullshit the whole thing. <laughs> Conceptual art is mm-hmm. art which the idea or concept behind the work is more important than the finished art piece. So it it that that was like the kind of Tate.org UK art terms. Let me I'm gonna pull up another definition to see if it differs yeah. from that. Because that one's kind of useless. <laughs> I guess. Wonky, yeah. Yeah, the um oh. It's tough. Conceptual yeah. art focuses on the ideas and purposes rather than the actual finished piece. That that that's just kind of not a great definition either. So practical okay. purposes. Wait, but, so is it not a great definition or is it just disagreeing with your initial? No, no, no it's, it's it's not it's not disagreeing with it. It's because mm-hmm. it, it's actually it's in agreement with it, but it's presented in a in, in a, a weird a strange way. in a strange way. Yeah. So I'll try to, and it's also I'm also trying to find the dictionary definition, not the because if you find if you go onto an art page, they'll give you like their personal um definition of it not the generally consumed idea yeah yeah no true and then also i know we talked about this a little bit after soren's episode um okay dude, so... soren's episode is causing this first episode caused all kinds of ripples in yeah, that yeah. camera traffic yeah, yeah. section you did that's part of the fun though right <laughs> yeah exactly okay yeah so most of the definitions are saying the art in which the idea concept presented by the artist is more important than the end piece so kind of in this in the kind of what I was talking about though like earlier where the concept behind the camera trap mm-hmm. right is and all the skill that is involved with the concept is more important than the actual end product yeah. for for the yeah. art itself not for the and it not for necessarily like obviously if you have nothing to show right and you mm-hmm. just said something said an idea that's kind of worthless right yeah yeah right but all that idea of it is the is the important part yeah, I do feel like they could be graphically impressive pieces as well, though. Um, some of them, emphasis on some of them. Um, some of them. Some of them are really bad. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like some of them are good, you know, and oh, but that's difficult. But like, let's say painting, for example, would you say painting is conceptual art? It can be. So is everything conceptual art? Well, no, no. So conceptual art would require the concept itself to be more important than the final product. Okay. So if so, like if you, technical something that's technically focused may not fall under that. Yeah, so I'd say like if you're doing painting, mm-hmm. and um, you are replicating someone else's art, 
someone, yeah. like someone else's art piece um you're kind of doing a conceptual you're, you're kind of using the 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 original art piece as the conceptual art so you're actually yeah. like so it's actually a conceptual art piece of someone else's physical art um man i mm-hmm. i can't believe i'm going down this conversation today <laughs> this cool. is fun so wait what is so what's the differentiation between conceptual art and normal art normal art is where the end normal art <laughs> non non um so 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 regular kind of traditional style art is, is more focused on the end product it's focused on the end product right okay and then this one is more focused on the and conceptual arts more focused on the skills and the yes. thought, the, but, the the meaning yeah. of the art as mm-hmm. opposed to the end product. Yes, but okay. I think the, the important part I need to let the viewers know is that when you have a conceptual art piece, right, there's a often a physical manifestation. Usually, there's usually there's a physical manifestation of that. Yeah, and also like if you're, I'm going to try to st- strategically say say this before I just lose my mind. What's up? Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. Okay. I might have to. I might have to go soonish. Um, okay, that that's okay. It might just be like an extra long episode with a little extra bonus. Maybe I'll cut it and then put a bonus discussion as like <laughs> a, as its own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like I think that you can have the have regular art and conceptual art and have them exist kind of in the same space and have like components of it, uh-huh. kind of and be kind of together, but also not. If that does that make any sense, I feel like I'm. I'm 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 trying. I've I've been up since like okay. five forty five so, this morning. So let's say um, let's say we have someone gives up a detailed description of how to create a landscape image, right? Yes. Yeah. That description itself is art, right? It's but the formula for art. It's it's the conceptual art, right? The yes. actually if you put a detailed description of every single thing that that's required for this <laughs> piece of art, mm-hmm. right? That's the conceptual art. And then there's the physical manifestation of that. Okay. And would you For, say like a food recipe is like a similar kind of deal? Yes. Right. You're not, you're not the chef. If you create, if you copy a chef's recipe, right. But you are though, right. You're cooking the food. I mean, you are the chef. It's no, no, just, no. you're, you are you're copying somebody else's. You are not the artist in this state, in this case. So, so, so I think Clement would be, have something to say probably about this. Cause like chef is a very specific meaning. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but you are not the creative director of this thing. If you if you follow it like perfectly, uh-huh. right? You're without not your own spin. Yeah, without something. your spin on without your own spin on it, you're not yeah. really the artist here. If you start adding your own spin on it, though, that's tough. If you're, but how much of a spin do you have to add for it to be your own art? Then <laughs> I would say that probably not that much. Not that right? much. Yeah. Right. Like like a lot of conceptual art, it's it's um purposely vague. Like they'll say mm-hmm. like chair and then the word chair and then they'll, in the instructions they'll say put a physical chair here and then put, put a fix, put a picture of a chair there right so it, it's it's purposely vague um yeah whereas like i mean if you obviously if um if you're being very specific with it right someone breaks from that specifics right it comes a little gray area here yeah right? and that's that's one of the things with my students where i this is like one of the issues that i have with when I have my own question, I just kind of see if people would notice this mm-hmm. is in the case where I tell them how to set the shot, give them all the instructions for it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Inevitably, they're still going to add their own creative decisions in there without my influence. Mm-hmm. And therefore, technically I'm not really the artist anymore because I did not have full control over, over the said thing. And, and, yeah. and whereas I asked the question, the same question or very similar questions. Some people didn't notice that it was slightly different. 
where I said I set up on the tripod and all they do is clear the shutter, right? And there's kind there's a kind of different because in one of them they're adding their own creative influence on there, whereas in the other one they're just taking the photo. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Um oh that's complicated. I feel like a camera trap photographer though would still be considered the artist if they are just doing it themselves though, because they're not having yes. that middleman. They're, they're not just the concept. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're still the artist, and yeah. if you consider them to be a conceptual artist or a normal artist, doesn't really matter. They're mm. an artist nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but if you told if if, if like say Soren gave someone instructions to set up one of his camera traps, mm-hmm. right? Then I would probably argue that Soren is the artist, even though the other person actually did the setup. Fuck, that's difficult, man. That's tough. Um, I maybe it would be um, yeah. If they did exactly what he said, I mean, if the issue with the camera trapping, they're still gonna have to go out in the woods and find their own spot that they think looks good for that. I think landscape. Yeah, but hypothet- be, hypothetically, Storm can give him one of his spots. The exact GPS spots. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So under that circumstance, uh, he's like the director of the image. They're the well, I wouldn't say they're the photographer because they didn't act. Yeah, they're not the photographer, but they are the artist. So I would say he's the yeah. artist, even though he didn't set it up. Um, well, even like, though he's kind of outsourcing the setting it up to somebody else. It's I'd like when you have still... a uh, like a cinematographer, right? Yeah. Versus the camera operator, where the cinematographer is giving the detailed instructions. Yeah. So I'd still say then, yeah, that the the camera trapper would be the artist in that situation. I would yep. say that's tentative. Once again, I, I've been awake since like 545 and now it's like 12. So my brain is kind of like geeking out right now. So I don't yeah. know if these are the best takes uh, I've ever had. It's fun. It's fun. Maybe we'll, when we, maybe we'll do this again. You're going to have to do a whole new episode. We're You're going to have to do a whole episode on maybe that. We, with someone, somebody. Maybe we should do it on your podcast. Maybe. Yeah. No, I'd be <laughs> down for sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Make, yeah. You and I will go on your podcast. These will be like a preview. Go on your podcast. Okay. <laughs> Have a special four-hour episode. Who's <laughs> us talking about fucking art? Wait, how long has this one been? It's gonna be like two and a half hours, but I'll, it, it will cut Start down it. because of, it will cut down because of the spaces. So we started okay. at nine thirty. Nine thirty, actually not that bad. I mean, Clemence ran uh, two hours, one two hours and twelve minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of in the ballpark still. Okay. Uh, I don't so know. Is... I, yeah, I don't know if some people. Yeah, it might be. It might be. It might be a lot. <laughs> we'll see what the audience retention rates like because i don't think we had a lot of space at least on my end it feels pretty instant in the oh yeah yeah no this feels feels pretty slick <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see what happens okay oh. i have to finish these questions here though okay all right okay then we'll, then we'll end okay <laughs> um what is your both your proudest and your most shameful wildlife photography moment proudest um might have to be it's tough i didn't even some of my bobcat work, I'm really, I'm really a fan of. Um, I feel like I executed that pretty well. Um, that might be some of my most proudest, my most shameful. Fuck, I wish I, I definitely have stories where I completely messed up images. Um, but I don't remember them right now. I'm tripping out. Give me a second. Most shameful would probably be. I've had times. I would just say times where I like turned a corner and there was like a shorter owl or something. And I just fucked up and moved too fast and then just lost the image. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I, I can't think a, of exact situation. I had a situation with uh, when I was with Jack in Kingston. I think I probably talked about this before. 
or had to take a piss and I pull out in the bush and start taking a piss and a fucking shorty I was right there and are you serious it. yeah that's ridiculous like right in front of my face and just flew <laughs> that's, out that's insane yeah yeah stuff like that would be mine yeah. okay what's your favorite animal um pine martin is up there I love okay. pine martins mustelids in general are pretty sick um and then it varies a lot you know but I'd say pine martins are up there mountain lion is up there gray wolf is up there i know those okay. are pretty basic answers but so would you say you're more bird or mammal mammal person? mammal, mammal, mammal sure. person okay mammal. i love birds but i'd say overall more mammal what's your favorite in the field snack favorite in the field snack would have to be let me think if i'm out in the field and i'm eating those nature valley granola bars but the green ones the honey and oats ones okay, yeah, are pretty, pretty solid. If I'm having like a meal, it'll be like some microwave buffalo chicken nuggets or something like that. Who was your favorite guest that you had on your podcast? You for sure. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've had so many people. I don't know. It's it's tough. I don't know if I can pick. I love your episode was really good. I really like Tobias's episode too. Both of your guys, I enjoyed both of your episodes a lot. Um, but I enjoyed all of them. It's hard. Yeah. You know, it's tough. Yeah, I would I would struggle if that was asked that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's tough. Um, would you prefer a soft but artsy photo or really, really sharp, really well done bird on stick? Uh soft but artsy, hundred percent. Soft, soft, soft but artsy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um how about an environmental shot versus a really artsy shot? Uh artsy if it's done if it's executed well. Okay. Yeah, for me it's like if it's executed well, a out of the kind of like creative artistic shot is kind of like my go-to for the most part. I had one more question here. Unfortunately, that question existed only in my mind and I've forgotten it. <laughs> so I think we are going to wrap this up. This was really fun. This is great. Yeah. We'll see if people like this episode or not. There's a lot <laughs> of art. A lot oh, of We'll kind of... have to do an ethics one at some point though and talk yeah, about you that. know what I I had it in my notes here. I'm like, if we start talking about ethics now. It's going to be a six-hour episode. Because <laughs> that's yeah. one of my favorite topics. Yeah. Um, so we can do that at a different point. Yep. <laughs> special four-hour episode. Either here or over there. Over there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, do you have anything else to leave the audience with? Um, I don't hate camera trapping. Plumage shots are awesome. Shorebirds are great. And Voca is the best. Oh, I did remember one of the questions. Will you swear your allegiance to the Church of Shore of Jesus? Hmm. Uh, what is what does that entail? Uh, you should follow the Shore of Jesus account on Instagram, which is, by the way, not run by me. So um, who, do you, who runs it? Oh, it's Jack. <laughs> Jack, yeah. Well, I remember when that was all going down. You said that people like got mad at you for that, right? Oh, yeah. People got mad at me. Um, really? I lost like 30 followers for that. Are you serious? 30 yeah. followers? Damn. Yeah, I don't know because I I think it was Jack who started it, right? He did. He yeah, did. he started. Yeah, it was him and uh, Matt Parrish who started giving me the Shorb Jesus nickname. Yeah, and then he made the image. Yeah, he started. He made the Photoshop image. And yeah, Jack's been he, Jack's been making all of my goofy images. I haven't even been looking at that page at all recently. Um, are they posting on it at all? I have no clue. I don't look at it either. You don't even look at it. We can <laughs> we can both reveal this. I don't think I don't think so. We got to get him on that. He needs to it's start posting more. Uh, I He's... saved I saved the short Jesus name for myself. Okay, this just in case this stained glass um shorebird image on that page is pretty cool. Have you seen oh, that? Oh yeah, that that slaps. Yeah, that's actually sick. That's badass. Um, that was the one was that the last post that they put up, fucking September fourteenth. So. 
what, how many, what's the day 23rd so like 10 days ago yeah I mean, i'm gonna i'm gonna message jack right now <laughs> be like dude get get on that no um no but that where did he even find that stained glass image they used it they used ai oh that's ai are you serious yeah. i thought that was real fuck yeah. ai is another topic bro yeah that's 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 definitely another topic holy shit that would be another three-hour episode they use ai for that are you serious that i thought that was real yeah i know it looks looks pretty real i thought it was legit holy shit how did they really what what platform did, did i have no clue i think i think matt made that one matt um, made that one. yeah dude it looks great i'm gonna get matt on here to talk about yes, the, uh, he's great about uh the um <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna talk about the shorb church and how that idea came out and give us the entire rundown of the history of the shorb church and the entire um uh, philosophy and everything yeah so, honestly man i'm telling you i'm gonna take the design for that i can't even talk at this point my brain is starting to shut down yeah. i'm gonna take the design for that shorebird glass and just start selling it <laughs> <laughs> oh i guess i gotta send you this i was talking about a um Obviously, I'm gonna have to cut this part out. I think I'm gonna stop recording just to. Okay. Okay. Wait. 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 Say... Should we end? Should we end? Yeah. Should we we should. We should, we should officially end. Um. Where was we? Where were we? I don't okay. even know. Oh. Uh, I don't even remember. Let's. Just... Okay. Fuck it. Fuck it. Bye, guys. Have a fun time. This was good. <laughs> Bye. See ya. <laughs>